Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome once again to Cult Following, the podcast made here in the Phoenix, Arizona area for local cinephiles, fans of memorabilia, ephemera, and celluloid to gather, talk about our little passions, our films, our film life, because, you know, it's pretty much birth movies, death, and there ain't nothing much else but that. I'm one of your three hosts for this occasion, Victor Moreno, along with Kirby Nelson. <laughs> And Joshua T. Ruth. Hey, something clever. <laughs> We're explorers in the deepest reaches of celluloid. Angels to some, demons to others. Find us at cultfollowing.co where we talk about movies. And if you like what we're, you know, throwing out here, folks, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and I think we're going to be on Spotify pretty soon. So just uh, find us on iTunes, subscribe, and also on SoundCloud. In this edition of Cult Falling, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching in the last, you know, month or so, which we've been super busy, so not that much, honestly. But uh, we will also be talking about what we think are the most underrated movies of the decade known as the Double Zeros, the Naughties. The Naughties. The 2000s, if you will. Our top five favorite underseen, underrated movies of the 2000s are going to be the meat of this episode but before we get going on that let's first talk to joshua about what he's been watching uh yeah so just uh kind of have one thing um that i have been you know watching that i wanted to talk about a little bit um is uh sorry have, uh, so I, I was a movie called uh marrow bone so have you heard of marrow bone no, I no? have What about not. you, Kirby? Heard of that? I've heard of that. I've been interested in checking it out. Yeah, yeah. So, so Marrowbone was, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's written and directed by Sergio Sanchez. Um, and he is actually the guy who wrote The Orphanage. Um, mm-hmm. although did not direct The Orphanage. That was J.A. Bayona, of course. Yes. Um, and, uh, he also wrote The Impossible, which was directed by J.A. Bayona. So oh. a- apparently he was like a, a common worker with him, but this, appears to be like the first major film um, that he's actually directed himself. Um, and so uh, it's, uh, you know, I was interested in the cast. It's got um, Anya Taylor-Joy, oh, um, who is just, go. she's become one of those actors who, whatever she's in, I watch, you know, because she's just made such interesting choices in her career. Um, but then, you know, you've also got like Charlie Heaton, who's in Stranger Things. Um, you've got Mia Goth, who's going to be in the upcoming Suspiria remake. And she was also in um, uh, The Cure for Wellness. Yes. Um, and so really good cast. And um, I like this movie. It's it's like a, a creepy little kind of suspense movie. It um it's you know the basic plot is it's this family of children who are basically uh, they and their mother go on the run and they don't really explain what happens, but they're essentially trying to get away from their father, who's apparently just a really really bad character. And so mm-hmm. they essentially go into hiding and take her maiden name, which is Marrowbone, and then she dies, and they keep that hidden and live in this big house by themselves because they're trying to uh, essentially, you know, stop because they know that they'll come in and kind of separate them all. Um, it's set in the 19, uh, late 1960s. Um, they don't really say that, but they've got like the Apollo moon landing happening at one point. Um, but it's, uh, it's really, it's a really interesting film. Um, the, the thing I would kind of compare it the most to, it has a real, 
um, you know, like Watcher in the Woods kind of a vibe. Um, even like a Flowers in the Attic kind of a thing, although it's a different story. But it's that it's that same kind of like, um, you know, teenagers together kind of a thing. Um, well, just like uh, whole family members together. Uh, but I, I really like it because it's it seems like on its face, like it could be maybe one of these, um, you know, just I don't know, like a little bit watered down kind of family oriented horror films. But then it gets into some like really serious like gore and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's another one of those movies that I don't know, like I, I liked it for the same reason. Uh, the, the newest it film is because it seemed like a Goosebumps film. But yet it had like all these kind of like, you know, serious adult themes. And the same thing here. This this feels like it's almost like this kind of dark uh, early 80s Disney kind of a film. Um, but then it kind of goes into some very, very dark places. Um, so, yeah. So Marabone, really nice little delicious mystery. So, yeah, that's me. Kirby. Sounds good. Um, I actually have a ton of stuff, but I'll just keep it to like one or two. Um, one thing I always try to do here is to, um, recommend, uh, like YouTube channels that I enjoy. And one I found recently that I really, really like is we talked a lot about toys and, uh, pop culture and 80s nostalgia is, uh, I recently discovered Toy Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does, uh, the, um, forget the gentleman's name, but he'll do like five to 15 minute documentary time capsules. I actually started because one popped up. It was the history of Captain Power. Nice. And I'm like, no one talks about that. Oh, or I used some, to have a bunch of those yeah, toys. Yeah, so do we. It so was the light toys that worked with yeah, the video Yeah, tapes. it worked with the actual tapes, yeah. yeah. Um, and the tapes had an extremely, I mean, high quality for the time. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. But it was just really fun. Actually, on the way over here, just listened to his one on the review of um, uh, Saturday morning cartoons, like mm. the rise and fall of it. So if you're interested in all those types of things, you know, it's it's definitely enjoyable, easily digestible. It's um, you know, just fun. I mean, I wouldn't call it you know super in depth, but it's just um, you know, if you are of our age, especially, I think you'll find something you'll like there. Um, but even if you're not, it's just uh, an interesting uh, history lesson. Um, my main dedication, though, in terms of time uh, for entertainment over the last like week or two since we met, was I actually sat down and over a few days was able to do all of Disenchantment. Oh, okay. Oh, that's the new Matt Greening. I've only watched the first episode. So, yeah, I mean... That just dropped this weekend, right? Yes, it did. And so my... uh, I had family in town and I had a lot of game on Expo. I had a lot of stuff going on. So it's hard to kind of catch up with stuff. I mean, you know, it's easier when it's only a half hour as opposed to an hour or more, um, especially for me. But uh, The Simpsons is my all-time favorite show, without a doubt, bar none, no comparison, especially, of course, the first ten seasons. Sure. Um, and I also love, I love Futurama. I love everything pretty much Matt Green has ever done. Um, and so I really wanted, it's nice to see, um, you know, a fantasy setting and stuff. So it was a lot of fun to check it out. I, I've heard a lot of people bad-mouthing it, really seem to not like it. Or picked it apart. I was definitely underwhelmed by the first episode. Yeah, um, I hope it gets better. There were some lines that really felt like, okay, this is this is what I want. Uh, you know, and I think about like, uh, don't speak of uh, don't speak of Levo Spico. You know, just little things like that. You know, and it's like there's some clever stuff, but yeah. does it does it get better? Um, you know, it's not perfect. It's it's just one of those things. If you like, I mean, it's definitely more 
Futurama than The Simpsons. Right. Uh, by far. I mean, it has some of the same cast. Obviously, Billy West being the biggest, um, you know, he's instantly recognizable no matter which voice he's using. Um, but I, you know, it, it's fun. I enjoyed it. It's just not, you know, if you're hoping for something, I mean, I, I think that that's the problem is, including myself, we just have way too high expectations of the product, but I mean, I love fantasy, it's probably my second, besides comedy and horror, it's probably my favorite genre, so I just, you know, it's, you know, a little, little Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it's a little, um, Knights of the Dinner Table, uh, for you, you know, tabletop fans, and it's a few other things, but it's genuinely, like, it has some serious missteps, but, I still liked it. I, I like the characters. I like their voices. I just, the one thing though I will say is that I didn't, I was definitely not like bowled over with laughter. Right. And if anyone, but I, I never felt that way generally with Futurama either. Futurama to me was more like subtle. Um, those first four seasons I was pretty bowled over in a lot, but. Oh, uh, see, um, I wasn't. And that's because I think The Simpsons for me was just the apex. And that's partially, too, because I think the writers on those initial, especially the first eight seasons, were, um, and three through eight especially, were it's just perfect. It's yeah. literally the apex, you know, of just com- comedic gold for me. And um, whereas as much as I'm not saying I never laughed hard at, at Futurama. I mean, it definitely in its first four seasons, as you mentioned, was its its pinnacle. Um, but, uh, this one, it's just, I think it's just more difficult now. I, I, I yeah. like to give fair, fairness. I just think, especially in the environment of, um, even with Netflix with less constraints than obviously like, uh, cable or, uh, or, you know, uh, you know, Fox, like the big channels that all the other Matt Green shows have been on. It's just, uh, I, I'd still stick it out. I would watch all the episodes and then make a decision Okay. If you don't love it, that's okay. I didn't love it, but I liked it, and I think yeah. it deserved a little bit more of a chance than it got. How do so. you feel uh, w- <clears throat> about the music? Because uh, the Mark Mothersbaugh, and I normally love Mark Mothersbaugh, but I find it's really grating and kind of, I don't know, it takes me out of it. It doesn't seem like it really fits the fantasy element that much. Yeah, well, it's not full-on in Knight's Tale or anything, yeah. but it's, I mean, I think Mark Mothersbaugh and obviously Stuart Copeland you know, two titans of '80s new wave. I was about have, to say, yeah, yeah, have become like the the kings of of uh, TV and film. You know, scoring. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's not it's not perfect. It's one of those ones where TV shows I have a harder time mm-hmm. enjoying scores comparison to film. I mean, there's a few, obviously, especially opening themes. Obviously, in shows are um, much easier to be gravitate towards. But the incidental music, the background music. Uh, I don't know, maybe because I don't make as much of a connection in shows the way right. I do in film, um, the highs and the lows. So for me, it just wasn't. But maybe that's what he was going for, something a little more unorthodox. I just, I, I, I mean, you know, I love the animation style. I, mm. I really enjoy. It looks great. It looks great. Absolutely. Um, uh, but it's just one of those ones. I like the characters. Like I said, it's just. There's just something missing. It, it, it's undeniable that there's something missing. It, it not completely missing the mark. It's just a matter of, I think it's taste, of course, like anything else. But I also think it's just that I think Matt Green fans, especially people, have a really, really, um, you know, high expectation. I think Futurama obviously had such a huge one because that's the easiest thing to compare it to. Sure. 
but it's just one of those ones. And it and nothing is as big. And Matt Groening's world is this is definitely a for fans of Futurama more than like I said, The Simpsons. Right. But I always kind of think of something like, uh, uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead to King of the Hill. It doesn't seem yeah. like they're too big of it, but the more you watch King of the Hill, you realize, wow, this is such a huge, huge difference. Not from Mike Judge's other work, but from what he's most famous for. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, yeah, I, don't, I just I I yeah. never connected with King of the Hill, and I love like most of Mike Judge's everything else he's done. Um, so yeah, oh, see, I was a huge King of the Hill yeah. fan. I think it's one of those ones, but that's kind of like the way you know, like I'm saying, it's I think that everybody has something that they in those shows. I mean, animation especially has to be expressive in a very different way. Yeah, and all those elements you mentioned, like the the music, the um, you know, the voice acting, of course, the animation being so important. I think the big challenge here too, it really is. I know it sounds weird, but it is like the whole Netflix thing because people are able to stream it, so they don't have the time every week the way they used to kind of digest things. And I think that that has made kind of all the difference. I think there is a point to that. Like I do find myself thinking a lot more about castle rock since i don't like since i can have like a week to digest each episode i was talking to jasper last week and he i I was trying to tell him it's like watching true blood in the first couple seasons when it used to be good it would always end on this like huge cliffhanger that you'd be like Mm -hmm. no and then it would be resolved in like literally the first 30 seconds (laughs) of the first of the next episode yeah i did watch the first episode of castle rock the first couple are slow once you get to like episode three you like it's like boom awesome yeah i mean i and I guess I didn't know what to expect. I kind of didn't know much about Castle Rock going in, mm-hmm. um, other than obviously the Stephen King connection. But I think it's kind of a, a cool idea, right? Which is that, is as I understand, these are like ideas Stephen King's had for stories that he hasn't actually written. No, it's like basically the writers and producers are like doing stories kind of set in a world since sure. they have the rights to like everything. Right. Because I know like, you know, Alan Pangborn's in there. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that like the idea, like I thought I heard that somewhere was that, is that the idea is like, these are ideas he's had and he contributed the ideas. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I just know like basically the, the way they're saying is each season is going to be basically like an untold Stephen right, King story. Right. Okay. Spirit. Gotcha. And like right now, like you sh- like, I, I still say the first couple episodes are slow, but like literally it's like reading a book. Like, once you're, like, like right after episode three, you're, like, really in. And right now, it's like, oh, shit, man. This is, like, this show's so fucked, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, like, really addicting. Awesome. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, the first one is, like, it's very slow. It's just setting atmosphere. Sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of payoff, too. It's not like, oh, it's set up, set up, set up, nothing like a Damon Lindelof show or something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that they they call that a Lindelof. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Reminds me of in a Community. You see Community, the claymation Christmas episode, and it's like they open up a box, and it's like it's the last season of Lost as a representation for unfulfilled potential. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, All right, keep going, Kirby. You got more. Oh no, that's. I mean, there's tons of stuff I've seen. Um, I hopefully have some reviews up. Um, the only one I think I can talk about right now because the embargo is completely lifted was, uh, 
I did go see the Happy Time Murders last night. Oh, yeah. Okay. By oh, yeah. Jim Henson's son. son. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so I was introduced to this film, I think, the way a lot of people were with the uh, Red Band trailer playing before Deadpool 2. Yeah. And I definitely laughed. I thought it was hilarious. And that's the issue is the trailer is all the best parts of the movie. Oh, I mean, I don't think of a more egregious example than this. And, um, I, I, I remember writing, I just said, I think I posted about, and I was like, uh, you know, hoping for meet the feebles, knowing it's going to be Ted. Yeah, and yeah, I, I could or, even. Or worse, Sausage Party. That's or, or kind of what Sausage Party would be. Sausage Party is not a movie that aged well. No. Well, no, that's the thing. And, that, well, that's the way I feel about a lot of comedies. It's a, it's a, you know, two pump chump. It's just a one shot. You, you laugh and then you enjoy it the first time you see it and then that's it. And then it's over. So for me, um, like Ted, I laughed. I'm not sitting here going, oh, I didn't laugh. I laughed because there was enough things. I mean, it's all the typical Seth MacFarlane things. And then there was one or two things where I was like, oh, that's enjoyable. That's not what I was expecting, like the whole Flash Gordon interlude. Yeah. But everything else. Yeah, best part of the movie. But it's just with Happy Time Murders, I knew everything that was going to come. Like everything that was, you know, it was most of it from the trailer and the rest of it was just because it's so predictable. Did I laugh? Sure, a few times, because it, the, some of the sight gags are great. But overall, it's just one of those films where you're just like, okay. I mean, it is the ultimate meh, like, probably movie of the summer. Um, so, yeah, sorry uh, to crush your puppet spirits, <laughs> but it's it's definitely... I know, uh, yeah, I know a bunch of the Alamos, like, all of a sudden were, like, trying to, like, book Meet the Feebles at the same time this is going to come out, but, like, what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, Peter Jackson owns that movie outright, which is like why you never see that or right. Bad Taste or uh, Dead Alive ever played is because he owns those movies completely. So And like what, he just doesn't want them seen? Well, it's not like you're going to, hey, by the way, uh, you know, it, it, he's a busy director guy, sure. you know, so it's not like he has all day to be like, hey. Well, yeah, you would figure that he had people, though. Like to to operate, you know, because that's that's potential money streams, right? You know, right? Like, maybe well, he also he also owns Weta, so I mean, yeah, right. he's a busy dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're hope you're hopeful, I'm sorry. I mean, like I said, you're gonna get a, a matinee's worth of laughs out of it, and I'm not gonna say don't go see it because that's not the case at all. I mean, I'll go see a lot of comedies just to have a laugh, you know, just to kind of lift me up. But I know it's just. You know, it's a temporary fix. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sorry, like full on junkie talk here, but it, it just is. It's Happy just, Time Murders, a brief respite from the darkness. Darkness. <laughs> but it, um, I really do have, I mean, I grew up on, obviously, on Jim Henson. I love the Muppets. I love, um, you know, I love puppetry. I think it's one of the, it's such a brilliant art form. But, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's just a really, it's funny that I never even thought of Sausage Party until you said it, but yeah, it's it's pretty much spot on. Seems like it. it and yeah, I probably yeah. laughed harder at Sausage Party than I did at this, so that's saying something. Right. So, but everyone else seemed to really enjoy it, if that's, if that's uh, yeah, that any console. Yeah, doesn't tell me anything, because yeah. this is the kind of you movie that it feels consolation like. Consolation to you. Yeah, it feels like this is the kind of movie that, like, assholes would, like, just talk about all the time, uh. you know, and just think, like... You know, just like shitty people that have like Calvin pissing on the something on the oh back of their boy. car would think this is the most hilarious shit they've ever seen. 
Um, yeah, you know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I get where you're coming from. Maybe, maybe not. I think I it's know. just That's more. Just based on I think trailer. it's just kind of like well, it's people kind of like are wearing make Muppets great again. <laughs> well, no, I was actually thinking more. It's weird, like things that get co-opted sometimes. Like I've always been completely fascinated by how strange the dichotomy is that you have people who are like obsessed with Rick and Morty. But Rick yeah, and Morty's yeah, yeah, become yeah. like such a Spencer Gifts kind of thing. No, but it sucks because uh, Rick and Morty's so genuinely great. But that's it's what like, I mean. Like, you know, it's well, like, it's, it, it goes back to that whole thing talk about toxic fan bases. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, true, sure, true, yeah, true, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah no yeah, doubt. We had this conversation. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, and, yeah. and that's kind of the Still hard true. part sometimes. But yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff. I'll hopefully have some reviews up. You'll definitely see the Happy yeah. Time Murders for some further thoughts. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. How about well, you, Victor? I, I will say, dude, I was like a GameStop the other day, and they have like the second series of Rick and Morty toys. Yeah. And they had like a scary Terry action figure. Oh, and like they oh. literally agonized for like five whole minutes about whether I should buy it was or it not. Was it good or was it It was good. It, I mean, no, it was like an actual action figure. Okay. But I was just like, you know, no. Right. Yeah, it was a weird feeling, but then Aww, again, I, yeah, but you know what was weird? If well, they had had a pickle Rick, I probably would have bought that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, I would I would prefer Scary Terry over yeah. Pickle Rick any day. I don't know. It was just a weird like seconded, yeah. but um, I just feel like no, but it is weird. Especially, it's funny actually. The pickle Rick being the biggest thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the whole Szechuan sauce experience at yeah. Monster Market that I kind of like. You know, you just realize, yeah, it's just one of those things. But um, I, I it's think just that's a symbol for ennui now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's been on your palate? Uh, just a few things. Oh, I saw um last week. I saw Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, how was that? You know, it's actually not bad. Cool. I mean, it yeah, it's like you know, it's one of those weird things. Like they made such a big deal. Oh, this is like the first movie with like Asians that it's headlined a studio. It's just like, yeah, because they're people. It's like a people story about, like, having an uptight family and not, like, wanting to, like, the potential daughter-in-law. Right. I mean, shocker. Isn't that the press release for, like, half the movies of the last year? It's just just weird. Like, you know, especially how we are nowadays, it's like a multicultural world. The fact that it took this long to get a movie like this made. And it's weird because, like, you see this with, like, you know, you know, like black movies or hispanic movies it's like yeah, yeah like oh a, a movie about an asian family that's not like margaret cho or something that's like all geared around one person. i wish that was the oh, tagline <laughs> it's not margaret cho i mean you know what's interesting is that um you well, and it, you have to you have to start somewhere right like you have to to have the ball rolling but so the filmmakers of this movie or you know this film um, they, uh, apparently Netflix offered them like all the money. Yeah. Like they offered them so much money to give them like a series of films and they said no. Um, they actually took less money and frankly a bigger risk by putting it on the big screen because they felt that was important because yeah. if this movie is good, it's going to tell studios, oh, hey, wait a minute, we can make movie- more movies like this. And especially with the Asian market, like, I mean, you know, you can... You know, it's a whole different conversation of different markets, but yeah. specifically with the Asian market, you look at what happened with the Meg. 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, that movie exceeded all expectations. Oh, which um, I also saw. I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I saw it too. Yeah. So you know, like, yeah, I saw the movie too. Yeah, but uh, I'm glad we didn't do a Meg episode. Frankly, <laughs> it's not worth it, and it doesn't need our help. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the Asian market is huge. Um, and it it seems like it's silly that it would take this long to actually make more films that cater to the Asian market rather than movies that are not actually that, but have a shoehorned Asian plot put in. Yeah. Um, which, in my opinion, was one of the biggest issues with The Meg, is that it was like two movies. Um, oh, it was... it. The Meg falls into that category of films that came out this year, along with like Pacific Rim Uprising, where it's right. like, it's a movie that clearly was not made for Americans. And, and it... Folks, if you haven't seen the Meg, this movie like was not made for you. I I think that half of it was made no. For us. I think it's a movie that was made for Asian and European audiences because the I we talked about me and Ruby talked about this and I talked about this with a bunch of other people. There's only two American characters in that entire movie: the token girlfriend who looks like off-brand Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Right, the she fir- really does. Literally, <laughs> the first ten minutes, I was like, "Is that Rebecca Romaine Stamos?" <laughs> hey, it's it's just like the time when I was watching Annihilation. I'm like. That is the best Michelle Rodriguez cosplay yeah, right. I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, Rain Wilson, who is literally, his character yeah, might as well yeah. be named Asshole American Billionaire. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, but no, literally, it's like... Yvonne Musk. Yes. No, it's just like Pacific Rim Uprising. There's whole chunks of the movie that are in Mandarin. You know, it's like... Yeah. yeah. Well, even, I don't think I mentioned in my review, but Skyscraper actually was also a heavily, heavily, um, yeah, Asian movie. I'm sorry to interrupt, I just just think that you can't underestimate the power of a family monster movie. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons Jurassic Park makes so much money, and I I just, I I, I just, I I guess I would just disagree with it, it's like it's only made for China. No, but I I said it's primarily made for China, Right, I'll say that. But it's also not a shark movie. It's totally a kaiju movie. Well, yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, and honestly, though, that's one of the biggest, um, there's been actually a backlash against Crazy Rich Asians because it's made, you know, it's perceived as a, um, you know, Chinese majority movie. And, you know. See, and I don't get that as much as I got that from the Meg. No, no, no. I, just, I, I, I will just, say the government of Singapore must have paid them a fuck ton of money. Cause yeah. like. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm just, yeah. I mean, so I can't take it. I'm just. It's like Chamber of Commerce of Singapore. Yeah, they well, use that, the entire city. Wow, well, you know, and, awesome. and the whole thing is, is that the minorities that exist in, uh, Singapore, the Indian Malay people, are considered, you know, marginalized in this. And it's they like, have them in this movie. No, I know, yeah. but I, I'm just... Hey, dude, it's all about the backlash yeah. police. You know, it's the outrage culture and all that. I mean, I... I but also, like, you know, yeah. you, you've traveled. You know Singapore yeah. is not, like, the most... Uh, it's just like Japan. It's a very xenophobic well, the whole, place. The whole thing is, is that most, you know, Asian culture, it's like, when I think people talk about, you know, um, black film, I think what they mean is they're talking about... Uh, black film in america mm-hmm. african-american black culture in the united states and when you're talking about asian culture you know it's it's uh, you know in africa it's not a monolithic yeah. continent it's very very different distinct cultures yeah. but in but it's you know more uniform in america yeah. whereas with asian cultures they are very very distinct both oh, asian yeah. american and asian well, cultures yeah. so it's um you know it, it's one of those things i mean i and i'm not saying it's just such a broad statement I, I think that's pretty, you know, much, I mean, I acknowledge as the way it is, 
and for better or for worse. So it's one of those situations, but I feel like whenever people start going on this thing of, you know, it's like I said, the, the kind of press release, like, this is the first film. It's like like the whole thing with Black Panther. I'm like, that's not accurate at all. It, it is in one sense. Sure and it's clicks, though. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, and that's, also let's be honest, culture. too. We do. But it's important that, like, you know, uh, cultures that, like, you know, usually, like, you know, it's like when Blade comes out, it's like, what happens? There's, like, five movies called Vampires that are low-budget versions. Sure. And it's cool that, like, there's, like, a big-budget, like, black, you know, led, black-starring movie well, yeah. like Black Panther because it's like, hey, we finally realize there's an audience for this and we're not just giving them a piece of shit they'll be happy with. We're, like, actually spending money. Well, to get no, I just, I, I think the big part about it is that, no, I, I mean, I think you have to acknowledge that there's going to be people who are going to... It has a wide, it has a fan base already because of an established character and because of, of, um, you know, a great cast and it has a lot of, um, you know, star power behind it. I mean, I think that that's the component. I, I just feel constantly like there's this push and it's like, we should be making films, you know, it, it should be open and it should be available. The point is, is that it's more complex than yeah. people want to well, give I it credit it's for. It's like it's authenticity. It's why like Iron Fist on Netflix is such a piece of shit because it's like like how they would have made a movie like that in the nineties. Like, oh, we'll get this white guy who doesn't know shit, and we'll just like kind of dance our way around the fight sequences, you know. Right. And it's yeah. like, you know, if David Carradine was alive, he would have been an Iron Fist, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, true. <laughs> I just, I mean, I guess, like I said, I've always felt like, uh, and, you know, with the whole thing, it's like, you know, people are like, well, they, they, I think people try to dance around stuff because to fit their narrative. And yeah. when it has to do with the fact that, you know, maybe because of living longer, I mean, I'm not that old or anything, uh, but it is one of those things where I grew up with things that, you know, it just became, you know, it was... I feel like people, you know, hindsight, it's more than hindsight is 2020. I think people are just very forgetful for convenience of things mm -hmm. and they just try to be like, well, no, no, this never happened. It's like, well, it did. You're just ignoring it yeah. to fit, you know, the way you want things, the way you think it should be or shouldn't be. When it kind of already happened, you just weren't there to support no, it. I mean, I get yeah. what you're saying because I know, I remember I saw the memes like, oh, you know, like, when Wonder Woman happened, they started sharing memes of Buffy. Or when, like, Black Panther came out, they started sharing memes of, like, Blade. Ooh, you know? But it's, like, this is a... Di it, like, you could argue that on one level, but on another level, it's, like... You know, it's, like, Ryan Coogler, a guy who, like, you know... I mean, you could argue yeah. Creed is his biggest movie. Yeah. And, like, they kind of... Stephen just... Norrington's a white guy. Blade was a tiny movie. Yeah. I, I, I guess where I, I really do kind of get a little bit annoyed at that kind of whole thing is I really do question the motive of someone saying, well, wait a minute, what about Blade? Because well, no, honestly, it's not about... it feels like it's a way of taking air out of Black Panther. You know, but it's also is, is like that... the comic nerd thing. like, you know, And that is also, like again, comes to toxic fan bases. True. Like even in the 90s, like you talk about something like that, and there'd always be somebody like, oh, well, what about Shaft? Or you know what I mean? Like there's always going to be a what about because there's sure. always some guy who is like, gonna be that asshole no I, and i don't well i don't think i'm being an oh, asshole oh, here I but I, I what i'm trying to sorry, say is, dude, is that I didn't mean well no you. it's not I a broad like, thing i yeah. guess for me is i was a kid and i wanted to see meteor man yeah and i think people forget about that and they forget about people who made films that were these films with largely casts of you know that were directed produced mm -hmm. and made 
um, you know, and they just kind of like, right. well, it wasn't well, big, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah of course, well, and that's like what I'm Robert Townsend is like a niche comedian, but that's, but yeah, it's no, no, like no, no, a, no, just yeah. the, to quickly wrap it up, that's the whole point. Is I see both perspectives. It's like here we made it into, you know, it's finally getting the due um, support it deserves. You know, it's like, hey, we can take a chance. But I feel like, like my biggest thing with Wonder Woman always was people go, well, you know, she got this film, and I felt, I felt like I'm like, it's just a James Gunn thing to me. Like, James Gunn didn't deserve any movies. He wasn't a huge director. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get a chance, and they make it, or they don't. And if they don't make yeah, it, they're it's cast also, out. It's also, like, a victory for, like, a lot of marginalized groups. And that's what you kind of have to take it as. But that's what I'm saying, is, yeah. is that you can look at it from both perspectives, and neither one has to be overwhelmingly correct. Yeah. It has to be that both opinions are valid, because they are of equal yeah. of equal strength. It's one of those things where people they just they have to be so much. Yeah, I feel like people have to be so correct. And it's like like I said with the Black Panther thing. I don't think that film could have ever not succeeded because of the 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 universe well, it was built I mean, around Marvel and the really, quality. Marvel didn't think it was going to be a big thing, and it's like actually the highest grossing movie people this year. People didn't think Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, was going to exactly be huge. That but that, so that's what I'm trying to say. And people didn't necessarily think Wonder Woman because DC had such a horrible record. Yeah. I mean, or let's be Iron totally Man. honest. Or well, Iron Man. Yeah, there's a lot that. I mean, everybody thinks certain movies are yeah. sure things, but and I they're guess, not. Like Justice right. League. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, I that mean, was to the, bring it back to Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, before, yeah. Because we we re-litigate uh, Black Panther, which we've done before. Um, I just think that, like, look, I also think that there's a tendency to take an article that some one person wrote based on three tweets and That's then true. suddenly start talking oh. about outrage culture. Like, just because somebody tweeted something and somebody decided to write an article about it doesn't mean outrage culture is out there to change I film. Know. But, like, but I mean, it is out there that those opinions are also equally important. It's like if somebody gets to say... That this, their opinion, you know, every opinion gets deserved to be heard. And then we're in a culture where people are seeing... I don't know. I disagree. I actually disagree with that. I think that one of the problems is that everyone thinks their precious little golden opinion is worth a shit. And I just don't think it is. Well, that's... But that's the... I mean, that's the inherent issue, though, is, is that you can say, well, I don't think your opinion is worth shit. And that's totally fine. But the, the problem is we're living increasingly in a culture that's saying... You do not have a right to express your opinion, and, and that's that is a huge schism. When I brought up the well, thing about yeah, crazy rich Asians, well, unfortunately, we are moving into a culture that is saying that. Um, but uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say with the crazy rich Asians thing is, is, I don't think it's more than just a few tweets. I think it's that people go because people want to have a narrative focused on that this is the way things are, and and so somebody says, "Hey, I don't feel that that's the way it actually is." I may agree with that. I may not agree with that. But I'm hoping people still always express their opinions. Even things I don't agree with are things I do believe should be expressed at all times. Because, and people should have a platform in which to do them. Because it's it's important. I, I think you're, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on the whole thing. When I say outrage culture, what I'm trying to say is, is that I feel like, I think Victor hit on it correct, is, is mm-hmm. that it's whatever will get clicks. I think yeah, it's a huge and media thing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's a consequence of a lot of things. And mainly it's just like, you know, there's just not a lot of money in, you know, being a straightforward reporter and a lot of site. I mean, we're living where anyone can publish. I think that's a sure. great thing, but like, I don't like the idea. I, I mean, I don't like it, but it exists. The fact that, like you said, 
somebody writes a shitty tweet, suddenly right. there is like fifteen think well, pieces and, about it. Well, and the thing is, is that our and, and websites know that if they put something out like that, it's going to get people fighting in the comments, which yeah. is going to get more clicks. And I guess like my whole viewpoint on it is, it's like I mean can't we just talk about this movie without suddenly having to bring up the outrage culture about it? Cause like, honestly, it doesn't seem like that's part of the main narrative. Now no. when we're talking about black Panther, I think that's different. Black Panther has campaigns against the film to yeah. downvote it. It has things like that, but I just don't think that this is one of the main narrative threads. And no. I do think that, Hey, yeah, you're right. It's an issue. If you can't think of more than 10 male Asian actors, in fact, more people probably can't think of five. Yeah. And, and so that's a serious damn problem. Well, with yeah. I mean, the other, one of the other big movies that's opening tonight, and there was a press screening for it today, but it was uh, searching with John uh-huh. Cho, with John yeah. Cho, right? Who's it, like one of the the three that people will be able to think of? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, and and if you take out uh, martial arts or action actors, oh yeah. That, Good luck. You got John Cho. You know, I mean, seriously. And and there's, you know, what, Ken Jeong, I guess, you know, it's like, right, you get into Who's in crazy free. rich Asian. Right, of course it is, you know. <laughs> so, I, and, and I, I think that it's just, it is, it is definitely, I don't know. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's cool that they decided to put it on the big screen, that they decided to take that risk. I'm glad it's and making it some money. paid off. I think it'll probably end up winning a box office again this week, more than likely. It's kind of. Did like, it win box office? Yeah, it was Did Meg drop one? off that much? Yeah, it wow. did. Wow. Oh, that's it really, did. It was that's a huge drop, but yeah, it was the number one movie last week. It's like I said, it's a good movie, and I yeah, maybe it's like saying Asian is like a big word because it's mainly <laughs> about like right. Chinese immigrants and like Indonesians and like Singapore's culture. I right. mean, that's a very narrow part of like Southeast Asia, yeah, you know? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about huge, huge, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's very diverse and it's very. Uh, it's one of those things where I, I also think a huge part of people is, is that when people want to talk about movies, I think uh, movies I'm, I'm really focusing on here. I think it's just at the a pure point is entertainment too. Right. Yeah. I, I think a big part for me, the victory for me and Black Panther above all others was, you know, finally not a movie that's 12 years a slave or a right. lot of these other right, things yeah. where people are no longer confined to one portion of their history. Which it should never have been that way. That's, I mean, you want exactly. to talk about black exploitation culture. I mean, to me, that was a big part of it. And I, I mean, th- that's also like very endemic in like uh, the first purge. It's like the second half of that movie is pretty much a black exploitation film. Well, and yeah, like but- Black Panther is just, hey, we're playing in a genre and it's like just people are acting. It's yeah. Not well, and, and the thing is, and I, and I think there are people who, and I, I personally felt that you know, there was some, some of the social commentary in Black Panther was excellent. Some of it was just piss poor, but that's, but I feel that way in a lot of Marvel mm, movies. Sure. I, I felt that that's my big and thing. That's when fair. People yeah. want to talk about Marvel movies. I'm going, I'm really straining to think of like a few really good ones. I mean, oh, no. it's really hard more and more. Yeah, and that's the it's, problem. it's hard to find quality. There's maybe Marvel like, movies? well, there's like me, uh, half, there's, well, 20, no, I think once you get out of Marvel movies, I think maybe eight of them are really good are good to I, good. I disagree. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, but I'm a Marvel fan yeah. boy, so it's okay. <laughs> See, there it is. Honestly, yeah. I, 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 but, but at the same time, like, I mean. We've had this conversation, yeah. too. Well, we've like, had a lot yeah. of the same conversations, and the reason I, uh, it wasn't just trying to, like, dredge up things. It's, the point is, is that I feel like with a lot of these topics, it's like they're going to keep circling yeah. anyways because people, not just for clickbait, but I think right. they're going to be because they're important conversations to have. It's just a matter of that, I feel like it's neither or. It's like somewhere in the middle. That's yeah. the way I feel yeah. generally about most everything. I, I guess I, I just, 
I and it's, and it's become like a thing the last like it's not even like you can't even say recently. This is like the last four or five years, and that you see it time and time again that a tweet or three tweets is the basis yeah. for an article, and I just don't think that three tweets should be the basis. No, of and it, it just I I mean I think Twitter has become such a toxic, terrible Absolutely. thing. I mean, like uh, I swear, like uh, this just this morning I was talking, uh, listening to a podcast. I was talking. It was like Larry Gilmore. He was talking about um how Boots Riley and like Spike Lee got right, into like this right, huge right. like Twitter fight over Black Klansman. Yeah. You know, where Boots Riley's like, Oh, that's garbage, the hero in Black Klansman's and Uncle Tom and I'm like Man, like I'm not like I'm a you know, I'm not Well that's I mean that's that's the toxic environment right yeah, there yeah. is that when we're still using terms like Uncle Tom to describe people is the problem in and of itself. Yeah. Is because when you put minorities uh, and people in general against each other, that's the issue. Right. Is going, well, this person, it's like, well, we're going to use racial slurs against them. And it's like, okay, well, then you're basically, to me, just saying, well, let's just start using racial slurs. Because yeah, it's just... I wouldn't go that far. Well, I have an issue with it. Yeah. I have a big issue, especially my biggest issue, and this is my liberal side. I am, I am absolutely, especially in terms of like things like entertainment and film, I'm disgusted with people going... Well, especially white people going, well, you know, he's an Uncle Tom. It's like, that is absolutely one of the most disgusting, vile things I've ever heard. I, it, yeah, but, yeah, but no it, doubt. it's just like, one of those things. I'm just tired of it. It's like, why don't you say. just use racial slurs? Well, other I mean, racial and that's slurs. one of those things yeah. about Spike Lee is that, like, also, he's very, um, like, it, he's not just trying to present one part of, like, that experience. I mean, like, Correct. I always no, think of, like, Girl Six. At the have you, have you guys seen Girl Six? Yeah, like the beginning where it has Quentin Tarantino playing like this white guy who's totally being like urban or whatever, right. and he drops the end bomb. Oh, I thought like, you were going with Michael Rappaport no, no, and Bamboozle, no, no. which oh, is yeah. even better. Oh yeah, well, well like, like, far. I mean that oh, whole movie is a statement on that. But I'm, true, I'm talking true. about like Girl Six at the beginning where like Quentin Tarantino drops the end bomb like thirty times, <laughs> and it's like holy god, I'm just right. really deeply uncomfortable with yeah. this whole scene. Wasn't that's that kind right. of Quentin Tarantino's, though? Well, I mean, probably one of his major points. And, but that's not the whole point is that yeah. scene is supposed to make you uncomfortable, and it really yeah, does. Absolutely. And it yeah. should. And he's and, great at that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, here's the thing. I bet you uh, the boots and spike are totally cool. Oh, yeah. I oh, yeah, sure, totally sure. Cool. I bet, you know, that, that you had one thing that was taken out of context, and guess what? We wrote some articles about it, and now people are talking about it, and it's just pushing division culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, but ultimately, he's, I mean, Spike Lee's far from perfect. That's one of the reasons I love him, you mm-hmm. know, is because that dude is he'll put he'll come out with something that's like full of flaws and then he'll come out with something that's like a fucking masterpiece. Sp- yeah. Spike you know? Lee has been confrontational for 30 years and yeah, that's yeah. part of what makes his film so good. Yeah. And I like a lot of Spike Lee films and it's one of those things people are like really surprised by. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I've always thought he was an exceptional filmmaker. I oh, think yeah. it's that an issue that people have is that he does make people uncomfortable. And I think making people uncomfortable is is one of the great parts of art and that's i think that that when you talk about an outrage culture quote unquote or when that term is used i think that that's a big thing when people are are have issues with um something that's confrontational that's part of the reason yeah we're gonna curtail this little bit of it i'll just finish up really quick uh anything else good um well mission impossible fallout i thought that was really good we didn't talk about it at all really uh-huh. Um, we don't really need to get too into it because it came out a few weeks ago. I thought we talked about that last time. I, bet I talked about it. Oh, yeah. you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we I'm might have. Sure you did. know what? Yeah. We probably did. It's just yeah. been a few minutes. 
Yeah, because you talked about the action sequences. Yeah, I remember yeah, somebody exactly. talking yeah. about the importance. Maybe of, I hadn't seen it. Yeah, yet and there's. Uh, I still haven't seen it. Things are going out of. The, oh, by the man, way, dude, I, if you can see that movie on the big screen, yeah, I would like. Seriously. That's probably one of the best movies of summer. It, it's, Absolutely, I, I think it's risen a little. I do think it's probably like one. Probably one of the top three Mission Impossible movies. I, I disagree, but it's only because I love that series so yeah. much, and I ha- and I did go see it a second time. Yeah. Um, I think as an action movie, though, just like bar none, like it's the movie you need to see on the big screen. This yeah. that's out. Oh right yeah, now. for you sure. Know, like no question about it. Um, yeah. Also, uh, like on the VOD front, uh, I saw this uh, movie just came out by uh, Sebastian Gutierrez called Elizabeth Harvest. It has. Um, Carla Gugino, Siren Hines, and Abby Lee in it. Um, Sebastian Gutierrez, all of his movies have Carla Gugino in them since the 90s. Like, his first movie he did was that she-creature Stan Winston movie for Uh Showtime. And, like, literally, they hooked up after that, and she's been in all of his movies. And they're, you know, they're pretty good hit or miss. This one was, like, actually pretty interesting. Uh, Abby Lee, if you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, she's one of the wives. She's also Neon Demon. She's the one who pukes up the eyeball at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Siren Hines. I know her well. <laughs> and Siren Hines, you probably know him. Um, he was, Ste- he was the voice of Steppenwolf in Justice League. He was Mance Raider in Game of Thrones. He's also on the cover of the, uh, Blu-ray that is right over there in front of Kirby right oh, now. Oh, yeah. He's in the Terror. <laughs> uh, yeah. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Which the Terror, by the way, by the way, I'm just going to ring the bell because it came out on Blu-ray this week. Folks, you have no excuse now. Watch the fucking terror. Twenty dollars, nine hours. Okay, and uh, I swear to God, watch the terror. Please watch the terror. Please watch the terror. Anyway, yep. I'm done. A uh, mad, self-perpetuating cycle of fear. I'm yep. gonna have to check it out. And honestly, so what I did, by the way, is I took a day off of work and I binged the whole thing. Yeah. Um, because I really wanted to do that because the way that this show builds. And what I love about it, and I'm not going to spend too long on the terror, but here's the thing. And this is the reason it was a bomb, is because the terror spends the first three episodes being one thing, and then becomes something completely different. That's kind of awesome. that's such a ballsy thing for a show to do. But at the same time, if you started watching the first two episodes, you're probably not going to continue if you're not really into, like maritime like historical stuff mm-hmm. um which is my jam i mean i love like master and commander right so like i was all about it but then when it turns into what it turns into it's just stunning so i i, I do recommend try to at least binge like the first disc all at once mm-hmm. um which is the first uh four episodes and then you you really get to sign to kind of see what the the show turns into yeah. after that first di- uh, disc yeah but yeah anyway terrible. anyway i'll fin i'll finish up i enjoyed it a lot i don't think it, uh, elizabeth harvest i mean i don't know if it's gonna be everybody's jam um most of the reviews that you read about will be like oh it's a contemporary take on the bluebeard myth and i just kept my thinking I don't know jack shit about Bluebeard. Right. So I had to look that it's up. Gilda Ray? What? Gilda Ray? Bluebeard. Bluebeard, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's don't... his name. And yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I told you I don't know who Bluebeard yeah. is. Oh, okay. So well, sorry. Go. Now yeah. you do. Gilda well, I Ray. thought you'd done is some Is it Gilda Ray or Gil- Gil D. Ray? Gil- uh, G-I-L-L-E-D-E-R-A-I-S. Oh. Gotcha. Uh, cool. Yeah. So, but basically, the easiest way, and I mean, I'm going to spoil, like, the, the gist of this movie, because, like, literally, it gets spoiled in the first, like, five minutes. Right. Like, uh, so, Syrian Hines has this young, hot wife. He takes her into his house, and, like, you know, oh, I'm this simple girl you've, uh, 
you know, why would you want me? It's like, I've given you everything. You're the love of my life. All you have to do is not go into this room while I go away for the weekend. And of course she goes into the room and it's full of like gestating cloning chambers. And there's like nice. four doubles of her inside. Nice. And the whole movie is kind of like, now I get why it's called Elizabeth harvest. Yes. And basically the whole gist of the movie is like, it's like a cult fiction where it's a bunch of stories told non-linearly uh-huh. about what this is about. Like, it has like you know totally and it's like literally it's a really cool movie like the cinematography in this movie is like i is awesome it's like a cross between like dario argento meets like brian de palma nice. meets neon demon nice. so i had to look the guy who did this up his name is kale finnell and this is the first movie he's been like the director of photography for but he's usually like the lead camera person on like he was right. the lead camera operator in on 10 cloverfield lane um he was the lead camera operator for um baywatch and okay like up in the air that okay. uh sure, sure. you know so George it's like Clooney. yeah so it's like you know that's cool and like his just his style is really yeah. awesome the movie right. looks super expensive and it's like just because of that it kept me hooked because i'm like man this is a really pretty movie to cool. look at awesome yeah but speaking it, of just about you because you brought up for judge everybody watched that new suspiria trailer yes holy shit i can't wait for that movie i'm really like i i'm i'm super excited about it just like i was already so 70s how did they do that like i've never seen a movie do 70s this good ever yeah it's just like they went for like really desaturated but it like it's just like really trippy looking and just like um chloe grace moretz is like super gothy in this yeah i was like oh that's weird I'm assuming she's supposed to be a riff on the first girl that dies at the beginning yeah, of I would Suspiria. Figure. Yeah, I would figure. Yeah. And I like how they're kind of keep making, like, Susie Banyan, like, this, like, yeah. weird, like, dark, conflicted character. And again, it's, like, two, it's like two and a half hours long? No, it's, yeah, it, I forgot it's how long like he told me. It's two hours and 40 minutes, Yeah, it's I almost, think? like, three hours long. That's amazing. I'm, I'm totally in, dude, because it totally looks like the witches time. at the at the ballet school are, like, taking over the bodies of the yeah. ballet dancers. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, I'm guessing, but I mean, it looks really cool. And like that guy who's covered in makeup, who is like the Udo Kier stand in telling him the story about the three mothers. I'm like, all right, I'm in. You already had me. Now I'm like even more in. Yeah. And Udo Kier is like, you could have just hired me. I, thought <laughs> yeah, exactly. Udo, I think Udo Kier actually is him. in that movie. Oh, that might even yeah. be him with another right? guy dubbing his yeah, voice. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. There's like that freaky scene where like Tilda Swinton's right. like on that yeah. girl's back. I'm like, whoa. And then again, you know, I think it's, is it David Kahanek? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Katanic. Katanic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So David Katanic, also the, uh, uh, one of the main writers on the terror, showrunner of the terror, and was also writer of Suspiria. So, um, yeah, uh, very excited for that one. Yeah. That's, that's going to be an awesome movie. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, we can just like jump into the yeah. episode. Yeah. We got about a half hour to get into that. Yeah. Boom. All right. So we're going to talk about like, you know, a lot of people talk about how like the eighties or, or the seventies were like the linchpin era of filmmaking. Like, oh, you're never going to get a better era of movies and like, the 80s or the 70s. I mean, nobody ever says the 90s, even though there's some good stuff in yeah, there. Yeah, the 90s are growing. I think yeah. that's a nostalgia thing. But, yeah, no, I love it when you brought up this idea for a topic, yeah. actually, because the 90s, it does feel like it's kind of like a lost 
decade in this yeah. way. Um, it was so transitional. And I, and I think part of that is because it's so recent. And so that now that we're getting a little further away from it. Well, we're almost, I mean, I, I always look at that. We're two years away from, uh, less than two years away from 2020. Yeah. yeah. So you figure we're 20 years already in here. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's when I think you start to kind of get an idea for the feel of what a decade was. And again, I think it's going to probably be another yeah. 10 years before we can really kind of like categorize and say, okay, this is kind of what defined the yeah. era. But in terms of your idea of underseen gems, like I went back and I was like, boy, this is going to be hard. And then I was like, oh, no, it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah. Well, it's weird, too, because it depends on what kind of focus you take with it. Because, I mean, like some of the stuff that like, you know, you would I would have argued maybe five years ago is like, oh, an underseen gem. Like, uh, I don't know. It's like most people now uh, i think that one list that has like the number one films of all time like yeah moholland drive is like number one right right now, at one point i would have said that's one of the most underrated movies ever and, and you know here's what i think because i mean i did a lot of thinking about this for my list as well and i think what i kind of came down to is that my top five are probably all going to be movies that you guys are very familiar with yeah but when i ran them past because I, I talk movies with the uh the older lady that sits next to me at work and she's always like, Oh, what's a movie I should watch? And, you know, and, and like, uh, and we'll talk about movies, even though she knows nothing about it, but it's Mm -hmm. nice because it gives me the, a finger on the pulse of the people. And she hadn't heard of a single one of them. Um, and I think that's kind of what, what I think about It's like, I think it's going to, you'd have a hard time stumping us and probably most of our audience. But when I think about like, these are movies that don't get a lot of love, but also, for my list is I wanted to go with movies that even amongst people like us, like cult, like kind of cinephiles, they're still not really talked about that yeah. much, you know, and that's kind of where I went as a primer. Yeah. I think the hardest part for me, and I always talk, Victor and I've always talked about this. I mean, over the time, the life of this podcast, I think we've all struggled. Every member who's been a part of it is the um, genre <laughs> distinction where it's like, right. you kind of just start focusing. Like I basically, <sighs> It's not being lazy. I just generally like gravitate, of course, towards horror. Yeah. And it's because it is one of the easiest ones to find hidden gems. And even though I think with the advent of Netflix and uh, Hulu and Roku and all these kinds of things, I mean, Shudder, I mean, so many people are like, you know, going, oh, God, I just saw this. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I you hear it more kind of like the people like you were talking about, people you wouldn't expect. To be like, wow, I saw him. Like, wow, you really enjoyed that? Like, I wouldn't expect that. I wouldn't have. I was surprised that someone was interested. But I feel like certain films, I was like, man, I really want to say, like, that is an underrated film. But I have to look at it through different prisms. Like, um, I'll just throw one out to start. Like, a big one for me was I, I we've talked about in the past, like, that I have uh, had a love, uh, like a five, six year love of anime in the first part of the 90s like 91 to 97 maybe yeah and then i just completely lost interest yeah and the film that got me back into it was spirited away yeah which i would definitely put and it is one of my favorite miyazaki films which are all so good that it's really hard to pick but i like that's maybe why to me but i'm like is it really underrated or underseen i mean i think it's probably considered one of the best animated films of the the first 10 years and i think it's, i think uh, it would be i, I mean yeah, yeah. I, I i can see what well, you're no, saying just kind of throwing yeah. it out there to like start kind of cast the Definitely. net and say that yeah uh, you really have to be honest with yourself and right. with the, those people yeah. that you'd be presenting it to and definitely. it's kind of like there's a few i picked that i feel like oh yeah that's definitely some people a lot know 
but I feel like it's still underrated. Correct. And that's yes. where I kind of yeah. like dug in my heels where I'm like, and then some of them where I'm like, oh, it was acclaimed when it came out and now it's almost completely forgotten. Yep. Like already nobody gives a shit. Awesome. So I feel like that, those are like the good, um, good criteria. Uh, the criteria. Yeah. yeah the definitely. good judgment. So why don't you kick it off, Josh? Nice. Um, okay. So, uh, I will start with my number five, um, from 2009 is observe and report. Oh, so, um, this is, uh, written and directed by Jody Hill, who, uh, went on to do, um, the shows, uh, Eastbound and Down. Mm-hmm. Um, he also is doing Vice Principals on H- HBO Go, uh, or HBO now, which I watch on HBO Go all the time. So, um, but, you know, this film is, uh, it stars, um, Seth Rogen as a mall security guard mm-hmm. who takes his job very, very, very seriously. Um, and it's, uh, got him, it's got Michael Pena in it, mm-hmm. um, who's a good Jody Hill mainstay. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, are you familiar with this film? Oh yeah. It's Jody Hill's like, like second film. Like this yeah, first one was Foot Fist, Fist Away, yeah. which was like the first Danny McBride movie. Right. But yeah, Seth Rogen is very much playing like a Danny McBride-ish character. Yeah. In this. Yeah. yeah. It's very much like, yeah, it probably would have been Danny McBride yeah. if he was a bigger star. At yes, the time. exactly. Um, you know, but this is a film that I mean, you know, is like so absolutely not okay. It's like so inappropriate. Like it's got like a date rape scene that's played for laughs. Like it's got you know just full frontal male nudity. It's got uh, you know somebody. Always it's got, yeah, right. it's got. I, I, you want to talk yeah. about taboos and verboten? <laughs> I would like to see more fail, full frontal male nudity. <laughs> right. When I saw for Gaines Sarah Marshall, I was like, right. holy yeah. shit, that's awesome. <laughs> you need to watch Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, um, but uh, but you know, so I, I just observe and report. I feel is it's like one of those comedies that it's just been kind of lost. Yeah, um, for some reason, people don't really talk about it even people that like eastbound and down i'm like have you watched observer and report and like really what yeah it's a really dark movie this is the one where he's like um he's all like he's stalking anna ferris right? yes yes yeah yeah, yeah. exactly but it's like it's almost like because i think that this movie came out the same year or the year after paul blart mall cop no it came out the same okay, year yeah, this same was exactly. one of those like right. volcano dante's peak yeah, scenarios yeah, exactly but yeah. this is like the mirror dark image yeah. of that film. Um, and, but yeah, I love it cause it's a comedy, but it's like, it's very, very, it's not only raunchy, it's fucked up. Yeah. Like this is a fucked up. Oh movie. yeah. It's really, um, yeah. Mega fucked. That's why I love it though. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's so absolutely pushes the envelope and I, and, and I believe kind of does it in a mean spirited way. Yeah. Um, you know, but is definitely like, uh, you know, it's like, there's the point where it's like, there's a bunch of like skateboarder kids that are always like, you know, messing around. He just beats, the living shit out of them mm-hmm. you know and he's like i feel you know I, I i just feel really good about myself i really kick those kids asses you know and like michael pena is mm-hmm. so funny i mean michael pena's gold in like everything he's in but yeah he, uh, you know other than crash i guess or whatever is he's in crash right um but yeah, like so. yeah when he's being yeah. serious i think he's kind yeah, of he's serious. also in that yeah. caesar chavez movie right yeah you know, but but michael and pena, one that just hit like uh netflix like it's a like a time travel psychic movie right right yeah you know and so you know but the part you know, he like extinction like the entire yeah. movie michael payne talking like this yeah. and he's like you know and he's like he's like let me teach you and he's like he's like you need to you need to open yourself up let me teach you how to do that and then like they just do like hardcore drugs yeah um so yeah i love observer report and again it's just one that i feel has kind of slipped through the cracks mm-hmm. a little bit um so yeah i just wanted to give some love 
That's pretty cool. I like that one. Uh, is it my turn? Yeah. Yeah, uh, go ahead, man. Uh, all right. I didn't actually rank these, so I'll just like pick one at random. <laughs> um, I am going to pick a history of violence. Yes. Good. Yeah, that was pick, on my. Dude. All right. So nice. yeah, so, not on my list, but that was one of those ones yes. where again I was like, I really want to pick this one. Nice pick, dude. Yeah. So a history of violence. Um, it's a 2005 David Cronenberg movie that stars Viggo Mortensen. Um, I think this was his first movie after, like, Return of the King, wasn't it? Um, oh, talk talking about David Cronenberg. No, no, no. Yeah yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and it's like, it's like this really, like, it, it, it's a weird Canadian indie movie. Yeah. Um, where basically, uh, Viggo Mortensen is like this, you know, like, he runs a cafe in this, like, tiny town, and Maria Bellows is like, you know, wife, and, you know, he's got, like, this kid who's got, like, you know, anger issues, mm-hmm. and, and then this, like, Weird guy who's the dude from uh, Pawnee Pool. He's also in uh, Watchmen and a lot of other movies. Like, he just shows up at his cafe, starts falling around, starts calling him Joey. Right. And, like, uh, during this scenario in his cafe, like, he ends up killing the dude. Yeah. And basically, like, the local is like, are you this guy? His, it's Wait, are we, talking, are we talking about Ed Harris? No, no, no. The, the first, other guy. Yeah, the yeah, other okay, guy. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. And, um, you know, the sheriff's like, oh, dude, are you this Joey guy? Like, right. no, no. And then it causes, like, all this tension between in his family. And then, like, his son, who's already, like, really violent, like, starts, like, oh, maybe this explains where, like, I'm coming from. Right. And then Ed Harris shows up yes. from, it turns out, like, oh, yeah, he might really might be this guy. And, With, like, this amazing, like, scar makeup. Oh, on. yeah. No, Ed Harris is fucking awesome oh, in this dude. movie. This yeah. is probably, like... <laughs> Aside from, like, Snowpiercer and Westworld, like, his, one of his three best roles in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah, he's yeah. really good in the movie. But, yeah, so it's good. it's an awesome movie. The other reason I think it's really underrated is this was, like, you know how a few years ago, like, David O. Russell, like, did one, like, serious movie and he yeah. totally got, like, that career renaissance of Silver Linings right, and American right. Hustle? Sure. This was, like... David Cronenberg's version of that, where like he right. did this movie, and then suddenly he was doing like Eastern Promises, sure, yeah. and it's like, whoa, David Cronenberg is like this like reputable. Like, well, and also I think it's interesting now. because um, you know you have David Cronenberg is known for doing like you know body body horror, horror science fiction, he kind of stuff, and this was, I mean, I think in many ways, you know, other than maybe Eastern Promises, like his most straightforward film. Yeah. Um and uh but I love the fact how it just it's really like bright and like kind of like it doesn't seem what like it is going the to violence be is. isn't stylized at all when it happens it's just quick it's and horrible. sudden and horrifying exactly. like the way that guy dies in the cafe yeah. just like bleeding out is exactly. like fucking horrifying and it's very much like the body horror yeah. elements are there but they're they're used like this finely tuned edge um and you know i don't know if you're aware but history of violence is based on a comic book. yes yes um, you know and so and i think it's just it's a really tight story um i think the running time on history of violence is 90 minutes or maybe even a little less yeah um, um, which is, I think, one of the best things, and I and I also think, um, is it not? Uh, who's the? Is it uh, Jeff Daniels? Is like the mob? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he's so so yeah. good in this movie too. Um, so yeah, great pick, awesome. Your turn. Yeah, I had that one as well as a list. Um, but like I said, I've got. A oh, that was on your top. No, five. no, no, no. It was going to be on my top five, and I decided to take the easy way out here. Yeah, I've got an honorable mention list. I could go a million miles. Yeah, I, yeah. The, one, the one that's funny, actually, I kind of thought about 
I started making top five lists of different genres, like I said. Yeah. And one of the biggest ones I actually found that was the hardest was comedies. Uh-huh. I actually picked a lot of comedies originally. But, like I said, I'm going to take the easy way out and go with horror. And, as I said, I'm going to start with the one that I feel is one of those ones when it came out. It's like, this is the revelation. This is, like, the best movie in a generation. It's so perfect. And that is Let the Right One In. Oh, that is a good fucking pick, dude. And it is one of the best movies ever made. Uh, To me, it it literally is so beautiful, so haunting, uh, so gorgeous in so many different ways. And I feel like... When I saw it, I was just completely awestruck by how um, well acted, well written, well developed. I mean, well written in the sense that it's it doesn't even have that much dialogue. It's yeah. just that at, like, the definition of atmosphere uh, over action. But when it comes to the action scenes, they are just breathtaking. Like probably one of those films where you could be like the way you always think of slashers is like, wow, could you come up with an interesting death scene? It's uh-huh. like. Or like a Final Destination kind of thing. It's like, but the ones in this are just unbelievable. So for yeah, me, it's, it's it was great. just an easy pick. You know what's what's really funny is uh, Matt Reeves' remake of this movie yeah. is so good. But the original it's is so, so good, good too right. that it's like, all, like I tell people it's like, pointless. if you're going to watch one, watch one. But whichever one you watch first, you're going to think is the better one. But they're both really good. But man, like. Dude, but, let the right one in is just better. Oh, and and I just look. I mean, uh, Richard Jenkins Chloe is Grace so let me in is good, but yeah. it's yeah. just not. And I agree with you. They I, wait. They made it too soon. If yeah. they had waited like five more years. Well, I, I, I feel yeah. bad because I don't know the actress who plays. Um, yeah, it's the, okay. The yeah, my like, Swedish in, in, is a yeah, little exactly. off too. But she, I just think, owns that role yeah. in a way that Chloe Grace Moretz can't. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just and who is the little boy in Let Me In? It's somebody I can't remember. No, he's was. another yeah, Swedish yeah. kid too. He's on this. Well, uh, not the Let the Right One In, but Let Me In. Oh, Let Me In. It's a Cody. Uh, Smith yeah, Cody. And, and I Mc... think Cody Smith is like a remarkable young actor. Yeah, I actually like him a little bit better than the boy in Let the Right yeah. One In. But I just, I, I kind of wish they would have switched those roles into yeah. the perfect film. But like, but again, I just think that yeah, let let the right one in was a movie that just hit me from left field. Um, I think it's exactly what the vampire genre needed at the oh, time. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, very, very. Good. Yeah, I feel like it's funny to. Con- I mean, it's funny Victor already brought up that with how well let me in is as well. So it's like it almost has that under like you can. Sliding the undercarriage, it's like, oh, it's also one of the best remakes ever made, too. Yeah. That's yeah. super underrated but it's just and like, forgotten, it pretty much. It doesn't change so. enough. That's my biggest yeah. issue yeah. with Let Me In, is like, it doesn't change enough, but yet it's not like a shot-for-shot remake. It just feels kind of pointless to me, honestly. Yeah, I feel like, and it's funny to contrast, but it's a great point about like changing. That's always what I always say about what we do in Shadows, is, is that you need films that are going to change a yeah, genre. Right. And people always just like, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's that lost Christopher guest movie in a lot of respects yeah. that needed to be made, which funny enough, also best in show was one of my top nice. comedies oh, that I feel is one, completely totally. forgotten. I know I'm always sure, all over no, the place so and I, I like I to cram, I like to cram stuff in too yeah. much, but I really feel like, um, it was so funny. I, I remember Let the Right One In. I think I saw it on New Year's Day 2009. Awesome, so technically yeah. it was the last in this nice. um, list. I had but... a really good experience watching Let Me In, too. I saw it at the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas. And they had a children's choir singing the intro music. Cool. And then Matt Reeves actually introed the movie. That's awesome. Wow. 
So that was probably the best possible way to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so we're to uh, my number four? Yeah, yes, correct? please. Okay, so from 2006 is the documentary Dark On. Oh, oh, that's a great one. Yeah, so um, this is, there was like this run of, and you know, the, these documentaries that happened. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're still kind of happening in a lot of ways, but I felt that the, the you know, the, the knots were a very good decade for this. Yeah. Of like what I kind of think about as like these nerdy documentaries. Yeah, Monster um, Camp was yeah, so good so too. Monster Camp is yeah. a great companion piece. I just think Darkon's a little bit of a better film. Um, you know, but I could also put like a King of Kong, a fistful. Of yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that movie has gotten enough praise yeah. um, that I would. I, Darkon's the more, in my opinion, kind of underrated gem of those. Um, but you know, it's it's it, for people that are not familiar, it is a documentary about LARPers or live action role players. Yeah. Um, and so these are people who, if you don't know what that is, is basically people that on weekends or usually they do it like once a month where they'll take like a whole weekend and do this, but they go out and they camp and. And they essentially role play like they are in medieval times and they have these big like medieval wars, but they spend the entire weekend in character. Um, and so, you know, they always are basically whoever their character is through the whole weekend and they basically role play that. Um, and it's it's just really interesting because you have um these cool dichotomies that the uh, that the film does like these connections about who these people are in their real life uh, versus who they are in the game and you have like this guy who's a uh, really kind of a successful and kind of seems like a little slimy sales guy in his mm-hmm. real life and in the game he's kind of like the villain and then there's a guy who's like a really good guy takes care of his family and is just trying to do everything right and in the game he's like the good king but then you end up having like his best friend in real life betrays him in the game and he gets pissed at him in real life and he's like dude you betrayed me he's like dude that was the game that was in character i didn't really betray you and it like kind of you know it brings all these these similarities um in the way that they kind of bleed into each other yeah Um, and i just feel that it's just one of those movies that it, it takes a look at something that is intensely geeky and nerdy but yet does not judge. It's not sitting there to make fun of these people. It's there to truly understand who these people are. And watching it, you really do feel the sense of envy. Um, and I mean, I've always envied LARPers, honestly. I've always said, like, God, I wish I could do that. But I, I just don't think I can. I think I find the whole idea just silly enough that I would have a hard time doing it and taking it seriously. But I envy people that are able to do that. Um, I did it until uh, the group we were a part of started actually killing people. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, no joke. Yeah, that's um, pretty intense. Yeah, so yeah. Wow, that's another, you, you that's a Kirby story time later. Podcast, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, this was long after were we were involved. involved. Yeah, yeah, we were no longer involved. There's a movie about, like, what was the movie? Have you seen that movie? What's it called? Um, um, the, uh, the Wild Hunt. Uh, it's, oh, is it called the wild hunt? I saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and it's basically, it's like that idea. That movie that, like, it's actually a really it good movie. It is really good. So it's about a bunch of LARPers and then they end up killing real yeah. people. Um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, anyway, so that took a turn, but, uh, but Darkon is very, <laughs> that's <laughs> hey, what I'm here for. Hey, so, but anyway, Darkon's super good. I honestly don't know how you can see it that easily. I mean, I would just get the DVD on eBay or something. Yeah. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I mean, it's kind of an obscure film, but yeah, I love Darkon. Cool. All right, so that would be what uh, you next. Yes. Right. All right. Uh, I'll try not to belabor this so we can get through all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number four is Ryan Johnson's first movie, Brick. Yes. From two thousand five, which is like it won like 
uh, special award at Sundance for originality of vision. Uh-huh. But basically, the easiest way to describe Brick is that it's like a 1930s, like neo noir, like detective movie, right. but like set in the 2000s with high school kids. Yep. And Joseph Gordon Levitt is like the main, like kind of like private dick guy. Yeah. Uh, I think his name is like Brennan. Uh, yeah, and, like, his uh, girlfriend, uh, Emily, she, like, dies, and, like, he's trying to, like, solve the mystery of her death. Exactly. It's so noir. Yeah. Um, it's a, I mean, I, 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 I was obsessed with Brick when it first yeah. came out. Um, I would watch that movie repeatedly with subtitles. Yeah. Um, because it is a film that is very difficult to kind of wrap your head around if you're just listening to mm-hmm. it. Um, it, it's such a stylized way. It has very it. stylized dialogue, like, uh, Nora Zahetner's character, Laura. She's, like, totally, like, 1920s. She's the femme fatale. Yes, yeah. totally. And, like, I, for the longest time, I was like, isn't that the girl from, um, um, like the OC or yeah. something. She looks like her, but it's not. And oh wait, no, she's in something like that. Yeah, though, she's right? in something like that. Yeah, but yeah, like, she's yeah. definitely in one of those things. Um, oh god, I love that movie. Um, and in fact, like I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the incredibly popular and influential podcast Film Spotting. Um, you know, but so Film Spotting, they are they were the first podcast I ever listened to in 2005. Yeah, um, they were one of the first people out there in general, but they championed this film so much that they actually have created an award called the Golden Brick. Oh, funny. every year they give this out to one film that is by, like, a first-time or very new filmmaker of, like, this film that probably wouldn't get seen otherwise. Um, And I will say, the way I heard about Brick was through film spotting. Oh, funny. Um, Yeah, and, yeah, Brick is just, is tremendous. I mean, I'm so happy to see that Ryan Johnson got a career after that. Yes. Um, You know, we wouldn't have the Brothers Bloom or Looper with him. I, I mean, yeah, and this uh, has most of the regulars from yeah. all of his movies, like yeah. No Segan. It's just like it. It's like you know when you get into a filmmaker, like yeah. You know, by this point, there's probably a lot of Ryan Johnson fans. Like it's just like when you become a Chris Nolan fan and you go back and watch like uh, Memento, uh-huh. or you're like a Darren Aronofsky fan and go yeah. back and see Pie. Yeah. You're like, oh, now I kind of get. He like, always had it. Yeah, you know that's the thing. It was a more raw thing, and I think yeah. in a lot of these cases, that's why. I mean, I think. I don't know, man. Like, I, I think if we could extricate Last Jedi from yeah. it, unfortunately, because I think it's a very flawed film. And I think Rod Johnson up to that point had made flawless films. Mm. Um, you know, but, um, but I, I definitely, I love the rawness of something like a brick. Yeah. Um, so good. And the other thing to look at this too is like, this was like one of Joseph Gordon Levitt's like first serious roles. Like, a lot of people who are younger nowadays might not realize, like, for the longest time, Joseph Gordon Levitt was like a child actor who was like yeah. on, third rock from the sun so it's like people didn't really take him seriously i think that he did only mysterious mysterious skin yeah which is an awesome movie and like almost made my list instead of this but i'm like well that's an amazing movie but it's also really dark and hard to find oh yeah yeah like it's super dark like if you watch it like that's gonna trigger people oh big time Yeah. yeah but um i i will say that like this was this in Mysterious Skin where like the movie's like holy shit Joseph Gordon Levitt is a good actor nowadays exactly. most people would be like he was a child actor yeah he's, what oh, he's the guy on yeah. Third Rock yeah yeah, yeah. exactly now good pick man. all right you're number four yep number four. still continuing on but with my one of my favorite sub genres of um, is definitely horror comedies and no matter how big this director has gotten I still feel no one ever ever give Slither 
the yeah, the credit it deserves. Good, like, it, I mean, I saw this one the day it came out, and I, you know, Michael Rooker, I was a, such a huge Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer fan, uh, loved Nathan Fillion, loved Elizabeth Banks, but a lot of them, I mean, this was like, the, funny enough, one of their bigger roles. And it's crazy to think that this movie is only like 12 years old now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, I mean, and Shout just put out a special edition. Yeah. It has, you know, I mean, you know, James Gunn yeah, is one of the most just, successful directors, yeah. but just no one, I mean, I still think it is, it has a weird effect of almost not a Cronenberg body horror, but more a Carpenter. Oh, oh like, this uh, is I like straight like, up like Night of the Creeps. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I mean, well, no, I it is, a, it's even no, 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 it's yeah. a night, it's a remake. But I see what you mean, like the thing or something. Yeah, no, like yeah, the yeah, thing, yeah, like yeah. I feel like people are still so grossed out yeah, by this film. I am so and grossed so, out by this And movie. so, um, like, the, the, the blending of the horror and the comedy, you know, elements, it's still hard for people. No, this is a remake. I love Night of the Creeps. I mean, Fred Decker, sure. Monster Squad, House, and even though he wasn't the director, he was the writer, but it's right. still, that's, you know, like my holy 80s trinity, like to me, is one of them, is, is for me, is, uh, those three films. So it's like, and there was another great film, by the way, um, just, there's an, um, by Kevin S. Tenney, who did Night of the Demons, called yeah. Brain Dead. Um, yeah. That is also an excellent Night of the Creeps homage, but um, Slither for me, it's just yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. The yeah. gross side of it. I mean, people in the theater, I mean, actually left because they were just so. I mean, it's I love that movie because I love James Gunn and I love yeah. freaking Slither so much. But it's one of the movies I have such a hard time watching because I get such a weak stomach about things. Um, and I mean, like I've never watched any of these Cannibal Ferox movies or Holocaust, or, and I've okay. never watched any of these movies because yeah. I'm not interested in um, gross out like uh, gory movies like that. But I mean, the thing about Slither is it's got this kind of like deliciously mean streak to it and i think it's i mean you know just to we'll not get into this stuff but i think the james gunn who wrote certain tweets 10 years ago is the james gunn that made well, that it's movie. it's the trauma james right, gunn right. like with a big budget a relatively big budget but i mean i mean are you saying you're not gonna eat that possum are you <laughs> yeah, <sure? laughs> yeah exactly that's uh, the, honestly the part where they're all eating like rotted meat is the part that i just can't handle in that yeah it's not even like the stuff bursting out of people's heads it's like them being forced to eat rotted meat and then like can't stop eating it that is just like the most disgusting well, i i gotta say i probably one of the most iron stomachs of anybody um viewership wise but i'll actually say that that's a great point but the only thing has ever discussed in me in life was I saw an episode of the show Hoarders one time, oh. and it was about food hoarders. Oh, oh God. God. And no, when they went in the fridge, I was done. Oh, I like, can't. I just want to leave it there. Yeah. I yeah. Can't. So, um, okay. but I just want to say, like, Slither, in terms of, I mean, it's the, if I, if this, if I had been a kid when this movie came out, I imagine this would have been, like, the funnest gross-out slumber party movie. Right. Probably of, like, all time for me. Mm-hmm. So, really enjoy it. Uh, it's just, I, I feel like it still doesn't get its deserve that, you know, just, uh, um, you know, it's just one of those ones. I, I just can't totally. say enough good things yeah, about agreed. it. It's just, Absolutely. I'll leave it there. Great. Yeah. Movie. Great. Movie. All right, man. Victor. Or uh, Josh, so Victor. number three. Um, all right, yo, I will die on the hill of this fucking movie. And I swear probably like the, of, of this list, by pure terminology, this is the one that I feel is the strongest, although I love the number my number one and two most, but 2000's Titan AE. Okay? Mm. 
I fucking love Titan AE, and I think that movie is so solid. And it's so Titan AE, if you're not familiar, is an animated film um, by Don Bluth. Um, you know, of course, who did Secret of Nim and American Tale. Mm, proud um, Scottsdale citizen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but so uh, Don Bluth, he did this movie in 2000 that was like this uh, kind of this science fiction space movie mm-hmm. um, where it's got Matt Damon, um, uh, the voices of Matt Damon, Bill Pullman. Um, you know, it's got uh, Janine Garofalo in it. Um, you've got just like uh, Nathan Lane, just some really, really interesting voice actors here. But I love the animation in the film. And I think it's just, um, you know, one of the reasons I love it so much, you're just talking about James Gunn, yeah. is I feel that this is, and you know, I guess I can't say it's influential because, of course, it was based on so many things. But in my opinion, when I draw mental lines, it goes from like Heavy Metal Magazine to like, freaking titan ae to like guardians of the galaxy it's like they all share the same dna in my opinion which is like you've got um you know space stations with crazy looking aliens and like they're going to all these different planets that are just really crazy and weird um so i just you know i think that it got a really bad rap when it came out i think it was um who was it did it? i think it was fox animation studios did yeah titan ae and it flopped very badly um and you know it has these uh these songs in it that are kind of like you know it's like um a little on the nose kind of but i actually feel that upon watching them now it's like i totally am all aboard with it i mean it, it is kind of like you know if you're going to think about like what's the worst era for music ever and i'd probably say the year 2000 you know <laughs> and so of course if you're going to have a bunch of artists do something on a soundtrack yeah i get it but even with all that stuff like i feel that the film has aged very well with the exception of the um the dredge which are the the cgi villains in it um but i i think that if you haven't watched titan a or haven't watched in a long time rewatch this film you will find the animation is tremendous the writing is very very good um and it just to me is an eminently rewatchable film yeah i think just a quick comment that i think that that's one thing um you know on review, I think people are really coming back both as part of nostalgia and just discovering for the first time as I feel like, um, like the Don Bluth, the Disney traditional animation movies, the, um, you know, uh, Titan E, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, yeah. um, even stuff like Emperor's New Groove and things. I think people are kind of coming back to because it was after that post. Uh, computer initial, you know, the whole Toy Story effect of yeah, it's you know, computer you had animation. Happening at the yeah, same it's kind of like uh, early polygonal gaming and stuff, mm-hmm. the, the PS1 era. And I feel like people are just kind of coming back and they're going, you know, in that early 2000 era and going, you know, these films were actually way better. The stories were Absolutely. really good. And I like think Treasure they just. Treasure Planet? Yeah, Treasure Planet's so another, another yeah. one. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to come around event, full circle eventually, where it, I think it already has started, but I feel like that's. Animation is, an, again, another subgenre that's really right. hard. Yeah, definitely. What do you got, Victor? Okay, let me see. I think for my number three, I am going to pick... Uh, I'll do a horror movie for this one. This is my only horror movie on my yeah, list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick Jennifer's Body. Yeah, that's yeah, my boy. Diablo Cody, nice. Yeah, this is... Uh, you know, the Diablo Cody, Karen Kusama joint. Yeah. Karen Kusama, who's only just now getting a good reputation for, cause she did, uh, The Invitation last oh, yeah. year. Oh, yeah, she did. Which is an awesome, awesome, freaky cult movie that I, 
a movie about cults, not a cult classic. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Also a cult classic, though. Yeah. Lo- yeah, Logan Marshall Green is in it. Yeah. It's really good. But Jennifer's body is just like, like the intersection between Juno and like, like <laughs> Heather's and uh, fucking like Evil Dead or yes. something. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, well played. Yes. It, it's it's yeah. It's basically Heather's meets Evil yeah. Dead. It's like this fucking stuck up like. It was, the, it was the thing that, that, um, uh, uh, what's her face? Megan Fox. Megan Fox. Yeah. It was the thing that redeemed her for me. Yeah. You know, it really it wasn't was. Jonah Hex? Uh, yeah. Are no, you sure? Not yeah. Jonah Hex. No. Yeah. Um, but it also has. That's probably um, on somebody's list here. Amanda Seafried, she of the yeah. creepy bobble-headed eyes. I, the, I, I, the I, pop Funko figure. Yeah. Which, hey, by the way, I'm going to get educated by, I, 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 Seifried. Seifred? Yeah. I watched it because it was on one of those, like, talk shows. You yeah. Know? And, yeah, Seifred. Weird. Yeah, All right. Know, Amanda right? Seifred. Yeah, I guess. And <laughs> Megan Fox. Yeah. Um, it has a dude from the OC, Adam, what's his face, as uh-huh. the leader of a satanic rock band. And it's one of those rare moments where, like, the satan, the, the, the satanic rock band song is actually, like, catchy. Right. Like, they sing it throughout the movie, and it's, like, some fucking emo thing. Yeah. It's very much a movie of its, like, moment. Like, oh, it's got the whole, like, emo thing going on. It's got, like, emo kids in there. Right. But, yeah, it's totally, like, yeah, it's, like, oh, it's got a band that plays into it. Just, like, what Big Fun this? and Heather's. Had- 2009. Yeah, so yeah. at the very it's, edge It's there. just yeah. such a perfect movie. I really have come back to this yeah. a couple it's of times. It's one of those movies where, like, at first I really liked it. Then I was, like, oh, why did I like it? And they're, like, no, it's actually really good. No, it, it is. really yeah. is. It's really so good. It's just, like, the, 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 uh, I think it, she's actually pretty terrifying in a lot yeah. of the scenes i think the 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 um abandoned house scene yeah. is especially really um uh with the guy yeah, she, yeah. i mean that's They're, really unnerving they keep well, the cgi really down the, you yeah, do you know? because yeah, it's exactly. one of those ones where it's like it's got a lot of i just love the idea of it i think the comedy is yeah. on point and i will i will go down people always ask like for like top movie lines of all time quote most quotes and uh yeah, like it smells like typhoon here. Have you two been, been fucking? fucking? <laughs> is one of the best, by far the best Diablo right. Cody line, and probably the one of the funniest lines. Oh, it has a, a lot of great lines. It in does. There. It's like uh, you know, it's like, hey, uh, I don't know, I, I I got this movie called Aquamarine. It's about a girl who's part fish. I know how she fucks, maybe through her blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so good. But yeah, it's like basically the gist of the movie. It's like this rock band that like wants to sell their soul to Satan to become famous and they find a who they think is a virgin in Megan Fox and right. she's not, so the ritual's all fucked up and she becomes like this demon succubus who has to kill boys to survive. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's got I- like lots of the like comedy people you'd see in Juno just being really weird. And it's never explained like um it's got um, what's his face? Uh, the dad from Juno. Uh huh. Yeah. You, he's like in everything. Uh, older guy. He was J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, yeah. right? Yeah. Who's awesome in Whiplash? He's got a hook hand in this movie, right. and it's never explained right. for no reason. Yeah. He just randomly has well, a know, hook you hand. You go around explaining yeah. your hand to everybody. Uh, but I also love that it, it kind of goes against the normal tropes of 
you know, these are the bad guys. They're going to die. These yeah. are the good guys. They're going to live. You know, because, like, really with the, some of the victims, like, you just feel really bad for yeah. them. Um, you know, and, you you know, you feel bad for Megan Fox's character, too. You know, she didn't deserve yeah. like, all that stuff, right? Um, and, but, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, very good pick. Yeah, yeah I will, one last thing I know we're trying to run short on time, I will say. Um, I talked to Lance Henriksen at Mad Monster uh-huh. a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned... You know, Lance Henriksen shows up at the end of this movie in like one of the weirdest cameos ever. Literally, he's just like a, a he shows up and he gives Amanda Seyfried a ride. Mm-hmm. He's like, you take me to town, I'm going to show. And he's like, my chariot awaits or whatever. And I asked him like, so what was the deal with that? Like, were you, were somebody friends with you? And he's like, well, they were going to do a sequel and I was, it was going to turn out I was the bad, a bad guy. And, oh. But it didn't make any money, so we'll never know. Right. right. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, number three, stuff. Kirby? Yeah. Um, I've actually noticed we've all been picking kind of accessible films, easy to, generally uh-huh. easy to pick yeah. up and some of the ones that are mainstream. This is the only one on my list that is not a major film. It did receive acclaim. I actually saw it at Film Fest first. You get, you can still get it direct from the, the director, actually, um, easily, the director and producer, but um, is found. Oh, I knew this was going to pop yeah. up on your list. Yeah, <laughs> it's just because I feel like this I'm, is one... I've of never the, heard of this. Found is a, like, a dark coming-of-age film, and I think some people... It has... It was actually the first film, actually, before I ever saw, of course, because it, it was before It Follows, where they really did try to create, like, a timeless... Um, setting uh-huh. so you really can't tell what time period it is a hundred percent um so you know there's a few giveaways but overall it's it's really well done um it's basically just um a kid who's obsessed with horror movies and then he under- he basically discovers that his brother is a serial killer and uh-huh. uh and it has a film within a film that actually got crowdfunded made into a film called headless which is more a straight gore fest but i feel that uh found is you know, like I said, it's a dark coming of age story. That's what it really is about. And it's a lot. Of, I've found a lot of people do not like this film. They, um, you know, just didn't enjoy it, found it weak or pedestrian. Mm-hmm. And like I said, maybe it's because I saw it with no hype. Um, and I do always like to preface films when I did see something without any kind of expectation. Um, so, but if you enjoy like a really fucked up movie, yeah. this is going to be it. But I feel like there's a great, dramatic element i think all really good horror is drama and all really good drama is horrific i I, i've always stood by that and i this film is probably one of the biggest Mm -hmm. epitomes of it but it's it's just one of the only ones like i wanted to pick bigger films that i feel like kind of got swept aside or just even by genre fans got lost but this is one i'm kind of trying to elevate um and like unabashedly i can (laughs) respect that yeah like, I decided online I was going to try to stick to one genre per pick. Sure. You know, that's a great way to I do had, it. like, the other, only other horror movie I would have mentioned, like, would have been um, Dead Girl, which yeah, is that's also, a great like, one. a really weird... Really dark coming of age. Yeah. yeah. So kind of I would have even also said Teeth is another great one. Oh, that's I feel such gets a good really, movie. that gets really, um, yeah. is underrated. And Ginger Snaps is another yeah. one that I love, too. Also on... And that's funny. That's one of the things I really love is... Um, I like a lot of female-focused horror films. I yeah. really like stuff like that. I, whether you want to call it feminist horror or not, it's one of my favorite genres. Teeth would have been good just because that Jesus camp had come out right, yeah. right around the same time. Right? Very true. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that will wrap it up for that one. All right. Last uh, couple. So, number two uh, for me is 2008's Bronson. 
Oh, that's a good one, motherfucker. Yeah. That is a good pick. So, uh, Bronson is directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah. Um, this was the film he did right before Drive. Um, and it stars uh, almost unrecognizable, as in most of his roles, Tom Hardy. Yeah. Um, and uh, he plays a guy who is uh, basically it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, you know England's big, most violent criminal, as they say. But, Charles uh, you know, Bronson. Yeah, Charlie Bronson. But so basically, he's a guy who like ended up getting put in prison for like a couple of years, but gets in so many fights with the guards all the time that he's in prison for over twenty years. Um, and this guy's just a character and a half like yeah. he, he's like the real guy is like an, he's an artist um and he's just um uh, the this is a role this was the role that introduced me to tom hardy yeah me too um and uh and he's it i still think it is probably his best role i mean honestly he just knocks it out of the fucking park um there are there's musical scenes in this it's it's told in this like hyper um it's very theatrical yeah it's very theatrical Mm -hmm. where he's essentially telling his own story but the soundtrack is awesome oh dude yeah i mean it's got glass candy on there it's got pet shop boys like it's such a i mean that's nicholas winding reppin though right i mean that's his thing um but i think that what in this we see the nicholas winding reppin the first hints of the Nicholas Winning Reppin that we got in Drive, and then we got in, of course, you know, his, his films that followed Drive. What he has become now is not what he was when he was doing Valhalla Rising yeah. and when he was doing even the Pusher trilogy. Um, Bronson was, it was kind of like the bridge between that kind of gritty style of the Pusher trilogy into like this whole kind of like synth wave, glossy, neon soaked style. This um, is probably like the closest to the movies he's made now yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah and it's just it's so so good and it, what i what i love about it is that there are scenes like for example where he's being left in his room for the very for his cell for the very first time and they show him in the corner and he's clearly crying and then they cut to the narration yeah. where it's just him against a black background and he starts laughing and yeah. he's like ha 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 you didn't think i was crying did you and there's like this this way that it it kind of goes it's like he's telling his story but he's not telling yeah. it honestly um and i just think it's yeah yeah just, I, like i remember at the mm-hmm. time i saw it it really reminded me a lot of a clockwork orange oh yeah yeah. So it totally kind of has like that vibe to it if you've never seen it, but it's also like it like this weird true crime English thing going on. Too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And again, just the soundtrack. I mean, if you're if for me and that was the same thing with Drive is like it was like it wasn't like I, I didn't discover this music through Drive. This was already my playlist. And then suddenly it was like, oh, my God, someone else likes this shit. Yeah. And so to watch Bronson and to hear, you know, things like old school New Order. I mean, I'm not the first person to discover New Order, but I love New Order, Pet Shop Boys, Glass Candy. That is my fucking jam. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody like be putting this in a, in a modern movie like this was absolutely stunning. And, it, you know, honestly, I don't think nicholas winning reffin has gotten as good as that one two punch of bronson and drive since then and i hope he can get back there eventually but yeah it it does seem like it's lost in the shuffle with drive obviously everyone knows about drive and talks about drive hardly anyone talks about bronson anymore so which is yeah it's weird like i feel like neon demon really like soured me on him for a minute and i totally had forgotten about bronson yeah 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 so yeah that's my number two bronson um all right so this is probably like the most mainstream pick on my uh, on my list i mean this was a movie that 
got a lot of hype behind it, but I feel like people don't really talk about it anymore, and it's really good. Um, especially, and it's you know going to become a lot more um, looked back on this year. Is a uh, Watchmen? Uh, yeah, from two thousand nine. I have yeah. a feeling this one was going to pop up on yours. I was this in um um uh, the. Uh, God, why is it escaping me? What? Uh, not Sucker Punch. Not uh, Sucker the, Punch. No, that's yeah. a yeah, but that's teens. Not, yeah, yeah that's I couldn't remember teens. if that yeah, was exactly. in the yeah. teens or not, because I was like trying to remember. Yeah. yeah. I almost said baby doll for some reason. Right? <laughs> well, it's because you're I looking see. at a baby doll statue. Yeah. See. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but no, I, I agree with you, man. I think it's a good pick because I think Watchmen, especially with like comic, you know, it's yeah. not like Watchmen was like the beginning of comic no. movies. They were already happening at yeah. the time. And I, I will say like I feel like Zack Snyder had to be represented on here somewhere because like Dawn of the Dead is when he started like the last time he did was in Sucker Punch. Like this really interesting opening like right. montage set to music. Like when Dawn of the Dead did it, it like blew people's minds to so, like Johnny Cash and like the Hills Have Eyes mm-hmm. did it. And then, you know, he does it here with like uh uh, the times they are changing sent to sure. uh, the Bob Dylan song, whereas we see like the alternate history from World War Two up to the eighties, and just like it's done so fucking good, and like just there's so much stuff in like Doctor Manhattan. I mean, I'm excited for the new HBO show. Yeah. I am, but, but I it's don't, not, it's not I don't think they're ever. No, I don't think they're ever gonna like do a better job of Doctor Manhattan than this thing does. No, I don't think. I don't think. I mean, Doctor Manhattan is not just my favorite character in Watchmen, yeah, but one of my favorite characters in all of comic history. Period. Yeah, and I think that they nailed Doctor Manhattan, and it makes me sad that honestly, some people are just constantly still talking about his blue wiener. Oh, which it's if so you stupid. You watch the fucking movie; is his wiener is in the movie for all of about forty seconds, yeah. maybe in the whole movie. But people are. Just I never so even noticed it. Not- I watched yeah. it on IMAX, so that's saying yeah, something. Yeah, yeah I did so too. I really didn't. But they like, yeah. I think Rorschach is perfect. I think Dr. Oh, Manhattan yeah. is perfect. I will say... I feel Ozymandias is terrible. Yeah, Ozymandias, yeah. yeah, this, this is where the movie lacks, because basically, because of the structure of the comic, it does make him seem like an impotent Bond villain. Right. And I get it. It's very hard to address that issue, but the casting here was probably part of the yeah. problem. And I get where he was going with it, but yeah, I'm like, I think you said one time I was discussing this that Tom Cruise and actually the more yeah Tom Cruise had been originally approached to be Ozymandias and ever since I heard that it's like when you know Uh, he would have been oh like how uh, they they had originally uh, Brian Cranston was originally going to be Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman till Zack Snyder changes mind it's like motherfucker two casting decisions that totally ah yeah 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 no I love watching I mean you know I I was somebody who. you know, to people who didn't really read comics was like that person who wouldn't shut up about Watchmen for yeah. 15 years before it ever got made into a movie. And so I loved, loved, loved Watchmen so much. And um, I loved the movie as well. I mean, I drove, I did a road trip out to L.A. to the Chinese theater yeah. because for one weekend only they showed the director's cut on the big screen. Yeah. And I, you know, and now that would be at the Alamo, but we didn't yeah. have the choice back then. Um, so, you know, we made the drive. So, yeah, I, I really loved it. I still love that movie. I will say that it's got a lot of weak points. 
points to it, unfortunately. But like, if you take like, for example, the Doctor Manhattan sequence, yeah, with that Philip Glass music, yeah, the Koyanis Quatsi, just yeah. absolutely like one of the most perfect. I think it's the most perfect, yeah, probably twenty minutes of all of Zack Snyder's yeah. career. And it like it's also one of those things where it was a little ahead of its time. Like nowadays, when Game of Thrones or movie adaptations like make big divergences from the the source material we're like oh no that's just like the creator asserting themselves here there was such a fucking like how dare they get rid of the squid yeah like i remember that was like a huge thing and now i i talk to people all the time like you know the squid would have been stupid it just would have taken so much time because then you would have had to do the island and artists and the thinkers and all that yeah there's there's not a good idea but yeah watchman very good pick all right uh your number two yeah, so I'm just winding down here. The last couple, the um, this one I really did think about, and it's crazy because in one way I'm sure some people are just gonna be like, "Dude, that is not all underrated," but I, I just really, it's another one like ten plus years past, mm-hmm. and despite two huge directors, I still feel like that, um, especially in scene in, in its full form, Grindhouse is absolutely oh, yeah. a yeah. underrated film it's two films but sure. the, i mean i definitely think death proof is by far the most underrated well, uh, look Tarantino. dude you are so right about death proof now personally i don't really like planet terror but just death proof i feel is one of the best tarantinos oh and yeah it's shit on all the time even by tarantino fans yeah and i don't understand I don't it get it's it either. so good. good and i i enjoy planet terror because i feel like it works well in the beginning mm-hmm. as more of the true like like the, the both sides of what Grindhouse really was, but I feel like I just feel like people just don't appreciate the scope of it and the the right. the absolute um very visionary idea. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I mean to have all these up and coming directors, this group of people do their own trailers and to have it all sandwiched together and then release it on Easter Sunday weekend, yeah, you know, is is yeah. one of the best ideas like I've ever heard. And um, it played for what three weeks? Uh, if yeah, that. yeah. It, it was. I mean, I, I really did. Yeah. Like every emotion, pretty much was in this movie. So I, I always say one of my favorite things in life is the fact that the first time I saw Grindhouse, it was at Pollock in a dollar theater huh. in theater one. Wow. At Pollock, the second time I saw it in theater, it was ten years later right. at Pollock in theater one. That's awesome. <laughs> That was uh, that's honestly one of my favorite cult classics that, that you ever one. did. I mean, to have the original presentation of the double feature with the trailers in the middle was just such a cool yeah, experience. The ultimate marketing mistake when it was released because yeah. if you didn't see it in its original form, thankfully you can now. But it just it was so perfect, and it still is. But I really, when people talk about the word underrated, right. I really yeah. feel like it does embody that fully. Is is that where? You have, I mean, what do you feel like a genre mm. masterpiece, a multiple yeah. genre masterpiece, and still, it's like, how can you not please everyone with this yeah. movie? Yeah. And it's Absolutely. like, and yet no one's ever no. satisfied. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's awesome. It's just one of those things. Like, yeah, that is the only way to see it. It's like uh, this will be the last time I toot my own horn for something. I, it's like, uh, I remember like a few, like it was in two thousand and eleven, uh, the new Beverly showed kill bill and it was like uh uh quinn tarantino's personal cut of the version he showed at the con film festival oh wow they called it the whole bloody affair and like it had like 
you know, like festival du cons, like sure. at the beginning. And I was like, it's like they, it's totally like, it's not totally different. There's enough there that I'm like, man, I never want to see Kill Bill again because now I've seen it the way it was supposed yeah. to be seen. And yeah. the fact that you, that version still isn't out is fucking crazy. And to me, like, Grindhouse is the same way. Like, sure, I like that scene in Death Proof where she does yeah. the dance for him and all. Like, I yeah. I really, really like the extended version of Death Proof. You know, but at the same time, if you watch Grindhouse with that, it just, it works. It yeah. works in that context. Right. Also, Hobo with a shotgun. Yeah. His way, you know, that yeah. also, yeah, yeah, but it is what it is. But yeah. Josh, go ahead and take it to number one. Uh, my number one is, uh, again, from the tail end of the, uh, the decade there. Was 2009's Moon. No, that's such a good pick. Yes, I love Moon. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that I saw four times in the theaters. I knew what I was watching it every time as I was, you know, two other people in the theater, <laughs> uh, that this movie was going to be a failure. Um, and that it would end up being, you know, one of my favorite movies and it, and has continued to be so. Yeah. Moon is a movie that I will rewatch at least once a year. Um, and oftentimes if I know somebody hasn't seen moon, I will show them yeah. moon. Um, and it just, it is a movie that is aged beautifully. Just to interject real quick, yeah. because I think that's such an awesome point is to say, I'm a, that's a big thing about this list for me is if somebody has never seen it, yes. this yeah. is a movie. These are all movies I would show someone. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Like it would be at the top of my list. I know. I totally want to show Jennifer's body a terror Tuesday sometime. That yeah, would be a lot. That would be cool. Well, aren't yeah. we at the 10th anniversary almost? So. Yeah. Next yeah, year I'll do show it. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, moon is just, and again, it's like, you know, talk about, uh, you would think that this, you know, again, you might question, well, is that movie underrated? Absolutely. It, oh, it yeah. hasn't had, uh, I mean, guess what? You know, uh, Mondo hasn't done a vinyl of it, right? Even though it's this Clint Mansell score that's yeah. incredible. You don't have any Mondo, Death Waltz, any of these, uh, companies doing, there's no hard, there's no prints for Moon coming out. Alamo Drafthouse isn't showing Moon. It's the 10 year anniversary next year. Maybe yeah. we'll get a screening of Moon. Um, but it's like, it's not one of these movies that's really talked about. And I just think it's an absolute masterpiece from beginning to end. Um, the fact that um, that uh, Sam Rockwell was not nominated for an Academy Award for that movie. All the things that he does in that film, um, and uh, it's just—I mean, it's—it's it's a stunning, stunning movie. That Clint Mansell score is incredible. The practical special effects that are used, um, again, is kind of why it's aged so well. Like it yeah. still looks just as flawless now as it did in 2009. And even then, it was a throwback to—you know—it was compared a lot to uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey for multiple reasons. You know, with the obviously the Kevin Spacey character being kind of like like how um and uh you know you've got obviously the oh right yeah, yeah kevin spacey's a robot yeah Ooh. yeah which he's also uncredited yeah in that that's film true as well um you know but uh but you know i hope that doesn't hurt it's you know yeah it's it's uh you know love in history because it he's he's tremendous in that role that robot is so great well it's one of kevin spacey's best roles as yeah. well because kevin spacey is a very affected actor yeah and this is even as a robot one of his most genuine roles yeah um so yeah so definitely love love love. that was not a porno i was on the <laughs> uh vinegar syndrome website and for some reason it was for their um their blue titles nice. so i started playing that sexy 70s right. music sorry about uh, that yeah no problem but yeah moon is is absolutely tremendous and unfortunately duncan jones has um you know he did source code after yeah. moon which i actually really like source code it's nothing like moon and then he did freaking warcraft and then mute you know uh, yeah, so mute. 
um, is That's just one like of our disappointments for this yeah, year. Yeah, unfortunately, I think think Duck and Jones may be you know one of those guys that just had that one incredible movie in him. Yeah. And I hope that I can get something else like Moon from him at some point. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, there's always some people like that. Richard Kelly is also like sure. that. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very common, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so here is my number one. I kind of agonize between one or two movies for this. But I think in terms of movies that people should watch, this is one that is up there. And my number one pick is Sunshine Yeah. by Danny Boyle yeah. and written by Alex Garland. Definitely. Um, so this is one of those movies, basically, it's, it's, if you like 2001, A Space Odyssey, or <laughs> kind of Event Horizon, sure. it's kind it's of both. like a cross between <laughs> yeah. both of these yeah, movies. Yeah, right. Um, it's, yeah, literally, the, the bulk of this movie is about a international crew of astronauts who are going to, uh, set off a bomb to reignite the sun, which is about to extinguish. Yeah. And literally every single person in this movie is really famous now. Yeah. It has like Chris Evans, Benedict Wong, um, Ken Harada, who's like, he was the, he was uh, in Westworld. Yeah, he was in yeah. Westworld. He was also in, um, uh, that one, uh, Takashi Miike movie, um, 13 Assassins. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it has, um, Michelle Yeoh's in, uh, uh, Crazy Rich Asians and everything. Killian Murphy. Yeah. 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 It, and, um, um, Rose Byrne, who most people know now is like a comedic actress. Sure. She's got a totally full on big serious role. Yeah. And Captain America. And yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's like, and it, you just see how like they all, all kind of get obsessed with the Such sun. Such a, a stylized movie. Yeah. And yeah. then the villain, you know, I mean, it's got Mark Strong in it, who's awesome, even though you never really get a good look at him. His voice is just really freaky. And it's just an awesome movie. And it's very much like, you know, how being in an environment like kind of shapes people to kind of be, like their true selves in a right. way, which becomes like this really recurring theme. Like, well, it's already a theme in Alex Garland's first novel, The Beach, which became this really weird Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which I also really like. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, but also in all, in Alex Garland's movies now, because now Alex Garland is a director. He did Ex Machina yeah. and Annihilation this year. So it's just weird. Like, yeah, by the way, like, and Alex Garland also wrote 28 Days Later. So it's like, this guy is responsible for so much stuff that we love. And this is one of those movies that, like, if you tell people, oh, have you seen Sunshine? Like, what? I've never heard of that movie. Right. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's always, for a while, I swear it was perpetually in the $5 bin at Walmart. I'm right. like, Jesus Christ, watch this movie. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that movie. The ending, I'm still not a fan of. Honestly, I, I considered it for my list. That's the big reason I didn't put it on there is that mm. I just think the ending, it goes to just horror movie in a way that just feels jarring. And I just feels kind of a cop out from what that what that film built I up I feel to like be. a Danny Boyle movie, but that's like, right. it seems very like Alex Garth, because it's totally like the beach, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's very right. much like this. He does. Too. Yeah. He goes feral at the end. Yeah. yeah you're right. Um, yeah. But, but, it, but at the same time, like you don't see that from things like, um, like ex machina yeah. and annihilation. So maybe that's just, yeah. that was a thing of you. That was a thing at the know? time. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, I think the film overall, like the part with a uh, Canada, when he goes out to fix the heat shields right. and they're like, it's not going to make it. They use the music 
from that scene in so many fucking trailers yeah. still yeah. like the music from this movie yeah john is murphy ev- is the the composer yeah um, so this, good the yeah. soundtrack of this movie is fucking awesome awesome yeah, yeah. definitely yeah in case you're wondering what song i'm talking about look it up on youtube it's called canada's jump and you'll be like oh this song right yeah. Great pick, great pick. And Definitely. to wrap it all up, we got Curry yeah. with number one. So I did not uh, pick an astronomy title here as uh, <laughs> we have Moon and Sunshine. Oh, <laughs> weird. I did pick an elemental one. And I really thought long and, uh, and pondered and whatnot. And it, I think it was inevitable from the very beginning. There was no doubt it could be anything other than the mist. Oh, oh there fuck you go. Yeah, dude. And Great choice. It's uh, one of those movies that you can only watch once. Uh, <laughs> see, this is one I do regularly watch yeah. every year. Or yeah, so I will too. watch this movie, and this is my one of my favorite movies to show people, especially the people who go. I'm a Stephen King fan. Yeah, um, I loved the novella. I loved the radio drama of this, and I think it's it, by far, of course, his best um, novella or short, you know, extended short story. His EP. Uh, in musical terms, but I really, Darabont just, I mean, it is to me a level of, uh, Shawshank killing it. Like, he just succeeded on every level. Uh, the, probably the best ending to any film for me in terms of that initial, Mm. uh, um, for me uh, of this era, not necessarily of all time, but it's one of those ones where I, it was, you talk about like jarring or leaving you. It's like, I do not like happy endings. I like yeah, realistic endings. And this is, <laughs> and for those who've never seen it, I really, even though it's already 11 yeah. years old, I just want, I, I will not say what yeah. the ending is. Yeah. I recommend you see no, it. No, if, yeah, don't let somebody but spoil it. But it is yeah. the absolute, um, uh, gut punch. Gut super punch fucked. And pinnacle super fucked. Of, <laughs> of what I truly feel is, uh, you know, how many times they try and there's been a lot of great directors who've touched on it, but I, love Lovecraftian horror and this is the best is. mainstream yeah. Lovecraftian horror film yeah. of, of the last 10 years yeah. that wasn't like something I saw at Lovecraft Film Fest even though I did see it at Lovecraft, Lovecraft Film Fest on the big screen in black and white that, which is an even awesome. better way to see it than in the, the I color love both I love both They're but, the like black, complimentary. but that's what I'm saying yeah. is, is that that's how I switch on and off Right. But I love the creatures. Plus, I love the Darabont effect. shot this movie on film, film so turning yeah. it in black and white actually works versus something like uh, Logan Noir, where yeah, he doesn't because right, it's not right. like there's grain that's going to get. Well, yeah. and also just like, and I think this is one of the main reasons he did it is because it just it makes that CGI just look so great. And it yeah. is one of those films where the mix of CGI and practical effects because you you had to have both in this film. I mean. You know, some ways it, it it probably could wait a few more years to be even more perfect. Right. But I'm glad where they they ended up, or where it was shot, and uh, I just I, there's nothing I, I feel like I can't. When I talk about the best drama, um, and whenever people, uh, you know, this is this is a, the height of it for me. But I truly feel like uh, Marsha Gay Harden's portrayal of Miss mm. Wright angry just is, thinking is, about is her. the best, mm-hmm. yeah. one of the best villains. People always talk about villains, and they get very um, uh, comic booky. They get very superhero focused or something. And I'm like, no, man. The best villains in in movies are 
the people you would genuinely hate yeah. in real life, and they well, make you hate and you. And you know, because as a Stephen King yeah. fan, like he's so good at writing those roles. Yeah. He is. He and, just nails those guys. And he just, he really, he knows how to write. Um, he just, Stephen King knows how to write people really well. Right. Um, and so, and that's what this film is. It's, it's, uh, another thing people don't consider besides Lovecraftian is it's truly a post-apocalyptic movie. And I, the PA genre I love. And so, you know, it's one of those ones. Also, um, a lot of big cast members when you think about it. Uh, some people at the time who were established and people up and coming. And it just, uh, resonates consistently and thoroughly and lets the mist envelop you. Right. All right. All right. So yeah, that was 2000, yeah. 2009. I think it's, a, it's a very good decade for a film, you know. And again, we're just talking about the underrated. We're not even talking about the uh, There Will Be Bloods. And yeah, the, I know. No I'm glad we kind events, of like, uh, you know? yeah, kept it to uh, the underrated. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, because I think the the biggest part, and even uh, both you touched on stuff. I mean, we all did, but it's just the whole thing is people. You know, you're going to find films down the line. You're going to reevaluate things as people go along. But I feel like. Much as I, I feel like this time period, as we're looking back on, it, is the way that people view the '90s. Is, yeah. is that you know we're getting to that point finally where we really can start evaluating things and saying, "Man, there was way better stuff than you you really remember." And I think that's what that drives all those click clickbait nostalgia sites. But it's also a great thing if people are able to discover excellent film. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Sounds all good. right. Well, I think that was a solid uh, discussion. Yeah, hour yep. there or two. Yeah, that was a two-hour episode there. So, what do we got coming up? Uh, as far as uh, you know, uh, if you Terror got, Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you guys haven't heard, so right now I'm uh, programming a new series at the Alamo Draft House called Terror Tuesday. We just did a Bubba Hotep this past week. It sold out way ahead of time. Um, our next pick is Return of the Living Dead, which plays on September 18th. I suggest you get your tickets for that early at the, uh, at drafthouse.com. You should be Phoenix. there and ready to party. Yeah. We are already like it's 50 tickets time. are gone. So I suspect this will sell out since it's still a month out. Um, and then the other one that went on sale today, uh, October 16th, we are doing 1977's House, yeah. Which tickets are also selling pretty steadily for that too. So I am excited about those. And in October, we also have Dismember the Alamo on October the thirteenth and twentieth. Mystery Horror Marathon. I highly suggest you go to both. They both have completely different lineups, curated and programmed by me. I will also be hosting those. And as always, we're doing Video Vortex and uh, Fist City. All that's up on ColdClassicsAZ.com, uh, Facebook. And we might be doing some other stuff around town, too. Hopefully, yeah. we'll be able to tell you about some very exciting possibilities. Yeah, might be rolling some stuff out for you guys. So that's, the most, that's the most NPR voice you've ever had. Right? Honestly. I got really close to the microphone. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, but yeah, and join us next time when we will have more movie discussion, thoughts, and all that for you uh, really quick. I will say... Uh, Right now, the new uh, NECA Pennywise figures are hitting GameStop. I suggest you get one. They're kind of fucking awesome. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, there's a Definitely. regular one, and there's a GameStop exclusive that's all super bloody, and he comes with Georgie's severed arm. <laughs> it just yeah, around. and the nice. uh, 1990 Tim Curry Pennywise figure will be hitting stores on August 30th. Yeah, that's actually the one I'm more interested in. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I, I won't get either because I don't want to get people angry at me when they come in my house. What? <laughs> yeah, no, people get they have a visceral reaction to clowns. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we do. do live in especially the, evil dead killer. The clowns. teens now, where yeah. people don't like clowns for some reason. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for this week. Uh, give us your responses, what you think. As always, we are here for you, and we want to talk about what you want to talk about. What's our email again? Uh, what is our email? Again? Well, you can <laughs> I think hit... it's just email at cultfollowing dot uh, co. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's you can hit me up at Victor yeah. at cultfollowing dot co, Kirby yeah. cultfollowing dot co, and Joshua T Ruth at cultfollowing dot co. If I'm right, that's just yours. do Victor just in case. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Just hit us up, folks. Awesome. Anyway, until next time, this is Victor Moreno along with Kirby Nelson. Bitch is hardcore. And uh, Joshua T. Ruth. Hey, crazy lady. I believe in God, too. I just don't think he's the bloodthirsty asshole you make him out to be. (laughs) All right, guys. Until next time. Cheers.